What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Between Two Heads. My name is Jameson Walborn. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Addison Demora, And today we are joined by my very good friends, Adam and Hana from Mission Hill Melts. Adam, Hana, thank you so much for taking the time and coming on the show. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having us. <laughs> so there is uh, a ton of stuff that I want to dive into with you. If anybody that's watching or listening follows me, You'll probably know that I'm very close with these individuals. Um, we work on a lot of projects together and uh, look forward to working on many more. But before <clears throat> we dive into talking about that, as always, what we like to do is, is learn more about the people behind the brand and their history. So, Adam, I want to start with you um, and kind of kick things off. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in a small town called Hastings in New York. Um, we were like 40, 30, 45 minutes away from the city. Um, so I got the best of like the suburb life and also would be able to like easily get into the city through like the trains and whatnot. So, um, so what was, I mean, what was childhood like? Like, was it, uh, um, what did your parents do for, for occupations? So my, um, my mom does like, she's a lawyer, but she didn't practice law. She did more like copyright text sort of contract law type things. My dad, um, did medical servicing. He worked for Phillips medical. So he would service like ultrasound machines and, um, things like that. Um, so both my parents work full time. So I would fucking, you know, come home from school and have to entertain myself for a little while and whatnot. A lot of unsupervised time. A little bit, a little bit. You so know. before we get too far ahead, let me ask, like, when did, when did cannabis become a thing in your consciousness? When did you first become aware of the plant? I feel like I first knew about weed sometime in like middle school. And I it must have just been from like pop culture references, like from like movies I had seen. Like I can't remember anything in specific, but I'd always like known about weed from like the middle school age. And it was always fascinating to me because it was prevalent, but illegal and seemed like a good time. So I knew, I knew from middle school, I was like, once I get into high school, I'm going to, I'm going to figure this whole weed thing out. <laughs> and it's uh, pretty much what happened. <laughs> And so what, what happened in high school? Do you, do you have a memory of your first time? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was the night before our like freshman year high school orientation. And it was myself and I think it was like three or four of my buddies. And we had all made the plan that we were going to collectively throw down and buy an eighth of weed and go to my buddy's house for a sleepover because, like, the way his house was set up, like, his bedroom was on the complete opposite end of his parents. His parents went to sleep super early. So how, like, much, how much was that eighth? That how much was that eighth? Oh, that was, that was, like, probably, like, an $80 eighth at the time, at least. Um, okay. Because I, I remember yeah, back, I was a in, the, back in the day it was. Oh, yeah ahead. oh for sure and homie like this is my first time buying we i i probably didn't even get three and a half grams like we had no <laughs> scales or anything and yeah, um 
I just remember that I, I procured it, obviously. I was the one in charge of, of securing the goods. And, like, you know, we all showed up. And we're, like, literal children. And none of us had ever smoked before. And we, like, had no concept of seshing at the time. So we, like, tried to, like, break it up, like, doses. Like, you know, like, oh, I paid 10 bucks, So there's, like, here's, like, my $10 worth of, like, ground-up weed. And the options were you could try to smoke uh, you can try to roll a joint or you could smoke out of a tinfoil bowl that one of my friends made. So I I rolled a joint. I think most of us rolled joints. Maybe one or two of them tried to smoke out of the, the tinfoil bowl. But uh, none of us got high that time because we were literal children, didn't understand the concept of, like, inhaling. Did your parents smoke weed, either one of them? So, yeah, unbeknownst to me at the time, my dad was a – in like, still is a smoker, but I was so worried about – getting caught for smoking that I wasn't even like thinking that parents could even smoke weed. So that was like, <laughs> I didn't find that out to a lot later in life. Yeah. Cause I know, I know a lot of lawyers that smoke weed, so I wasn't sure. My mom know. doesn't really partake. She like takes like low dose pills now that we make her just <clears throat> to help her like sleep, but she's cool with the, the life, which is more than I can ask. Yeah. For, so. Are your parents able to like accurately describe what you do to their friends or like how yeah. would, how would, I would your dad so. Yeah. Your dad's hip. My dad, my dad can definitely. My mom would probably have a little bit harder time, but she can still articulate like Adam's dad is very hip. He knows what's up. Yeah. How old is your dad? He's ooh god 60 I don't know why you're looking at me. I don't I know the answer to that. I think he's 67 or 68. Sounds all right. Yeah, because it was 65th birthday was in 2019. And, and are your parents from New England or are they from New York as well? They both grew up in New York. They both grew up in New York. My dad grew up in the Bronx, and I think my mom also grew up in the Bronx, if not somewhere close. So, okay. New York. How, how long have you been in New England? So, I moved up in 2012 for college. So, I moved, I went to school in uh, Boston at Northeastern <clears throat> for five years. And then we did, I lived there for another, I think, like four and change uh, after college, just doing work and whatnot. In, in so, Boston? Yeah, mostly in Boston. In Boston, and then I moved out to Framingham for a little, like a couple months. Then I moved back to Boston. I was living in Dorchester in the hood. And then um, moved south of the city to like the um, like the Mansfield area, like near where like the Patriots played football for two years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my whole family's from uh Taunton, Southern Mass. Okay. Yep. Oh yeah. You know you know the area then. I know the area. <laughs> Definitely. So, was it was it on immediately after that first time consuming Adam or, or did it take some time? Um, it to took it took we were for sure like because none of us were like we were like didn't we all like you guys high we we're like no nah, I don't think so. So it was like <laughs> all right we gotta do this again. So I remember another like at least three or four attempts where it was like homies rolling up joints and smoking and like we still didn't understand the concept of like breathing in fully. So none of us got high. And then I remember I watched I started watching YouTube videos trying to oh, get sick. like understanding of what was going on. And I came across like how to make like a fucking gravity bong with like, you know, your household items. So I fucking went to my dad's like ratchet set and I found the ones that have the the hole that go all the way through. And that was my bowl piece. And then I just 
with you know like some scissors and a lighter and a two liter like i made like a ghetto fucking gravity bong and me and my buddy max had like a it was like a tuesday afternoon and we had like wednesday off for some stupid reason so we ran back to my place you know i threw down my backpack grabbed my weed backpack that had like you know your gravity bong your lighters your axe body spray your three things of visine like gum we ran to the woods and we started doing the gravity bong and because there's like well you're breathing straight smoke like you know there's like it's hard to miss like we just got lit up that time and we literally smoked weed until we couldn't fucking light the lighter we were laughing so fucking hard and it was magical it was magical it was two fucking like 14 year old children just cackling in the woods over nothing it was fantastic that's amazing so i mean after that was it you know what came next were, were you <laughs> you know just chasing different flavors and and what were you seeing during high so school? Like, anything notable anything notable that that stands in your memory yeah so at, like after the first couple times you know, I started doing more like YouTube research to try to like learn more about smoking stuff and strains and whatnot. And um, I came across like one of those videos that's like, oh, like classic like weed strains that like, and uh, you know, I was that kid who would like text my weed homie who, at school and be like, hey man, if you can ever get any of these 10 strains, like definitely let me know. And uh, he would laugh at me, obviously, because it's like fucking silly. But uh, one time he got the real sour diesel in like 2008, and he was in my study hall with me, and we like had study hall in the auditorium. So he like came up to the seat in front of me, and he was like, "Yo, dude, I got a gram of sour diesel if you want it." And I'm like, "All right, like let me see it." And he like goes deep into his backpack and pulls out like this 120 bag, and it's like just one perfectly round nut, and it was so fucking loud that when he pulled that shit out in study hall, literally everyone in that auditorium like turned around and like looked right at us. It was the the hottest like I've ever felt like at school for the most part. And I was like, all right, dude, I'm going to pay you for that right now. And I'm going to pick that up from you after school because I can't carry that shit around with me. I don't have a jar or anything. So, so that was Sorry, he's loud. Good time, dude. It was so loud. It was just straight gasoline. It was fucking ignorant. Um, and our basic like our basic routine was that we would fucking do that same deal where we'd run home after school to my crib, drop our bags off, grab the weed bag, and then run back into the woods to go smoke. And that went well until like right before Thanksgiving when my mom thought she was gonna do me a favor and clean my closet out and found like every single paraphernalia item you could imagine and uh i obviously got grounded to uh not smoke for a little bit but that is not for long i was back at it pretty much like in the springtime i think i just i loved it so much dude it was so fucking fun so i know you are very into the glass scene um inside of the culture and i i believe that that started at a very early age were you already, you know, involved in glass and buying glass at, at that time? Or did that come a little bit later? So yes and no. So like, you know, there was, you know, I got a lot of my knowledge from, from YouTube. 
in the early days. I would watch people like uh, the CCC 420, the Weed Report with Dave Warden, um, Medical Marijuana Boot Camp with Chubbs and Tang, dude. Fucking, I think Gil from Weed Maps used to even have a little strain review type thing. So the CCC 420 was great because they'd have like different different things on different days of the week. So they would always do like Full Melt Friday, stuff like that. And they would do Sorry, black- sorry, sorry Adam. Addy, what did you have to say there? I saw you I saw you were gonna jump in about something. That uh Magweedo Travis will be at Legends. Fire. Oh, Excellent. I can't wait. Awesome. Dude, that that dude is a fucking he was in all of the old videos. He's got a crazy glass collection, I think. He can fucking hit. That dude can take the biggest rips I've ever seen. I believe it. I Any believe human it. being I've ever met. Wow. He's a cool dude. But yeah, so I remember like being those sweet, like actual like headies on like YouTube and being like, wow. And then I'm a fucking like kid in high school with like, you know, just trying to just trying to like not eat enough lunch so I can save my <laughs> lunch money to buy like a, a gram for the weekend type shit. So like we would buy we'd have to go into the city and go to like St. Mark's to like some sketchy glass shop where they wouldn't care about selling pipes to children and like <laughs> you got you know i remember getting a bong from uh shout Shane. out to those guys i know yeah shout, those yeah. are the real shout ones. Out to the enablers shout out to all those enablers shout Bro, out to yeah. those dudes for sure oh my god i walked in there literally a child i was like yeah i'm here for a bong and i knew exactly what i wanted to and like he did the classes like oh it's usually 120 but for you my friend best price best price i'll give you for 90 i'm like <laughs> wrap it up my guy gave you a deal too man. i know dude, he really did he hooked me up and so even in those like early days like you were you were buying even a lot of these like cheaper uh import pieces and like testing their function and understanding the difference yeah. between them like we definitely started with like your classic like china bowls but it would be like a very like you know you'd go to like one of those head shops and you'd be like which one is going to be mine? Like, you know, and that was like the cool thing was like everyone had their own and we were usually like naming our pipes and stuff back then. Just like Ooh. little names just to give them some extra personality since they were pretty like generic China pipes for the most part. But like, you know, every out of every batch, you know, you find like one pipe that was like, all right, this is actually pretty sweet. Like whoever was making this in a factory actually like knew some skill like. Those are like spoons or yeah, spoons. I love the Sherlock's. Like I would try to get like cool Sherlock's. I wish I had more pictures of those early glass pipes, but um Any, when uh, did you uh when did you, when did you get your first hitman? Because you grew up I fucking I can truly honestly say that I never personally owned a hitman, <laughs> but the first time I went out to Cali and spent like the week like dabbing like you know like it was like our friend trip and not like a family trip type thing yeah we were for sure had a hitman direct inject rig that we were smoking with the burns in the bay area like like all week it was like yeah you're i'll never forget dude this is like farther down the line obviously but i can't forget this story me and all the homies are staying with my buddy in the bay area you know we were he's got all the the dab hookups at the time and like buddy lends us a rig and this huge burn zone i remember fucking my buddy's driving i'm sitting shotgun and i'm heating him up a dab on the fucking highway and i'm just fucking you know we're laughing having a good time and i look over and there's like a midwestern looking family and they're just staring at us like shocked 
they just see the blowtorch going and like the glass <laughs> and they've got no idea they think we're like free basing meth on the highway and like it was such a wild ass fucking drive so funny that's too funny. I think every every dabber has probably had that one or two of those oh interactions God, yeah. with, uh, with the uninitiated. Um, <laughs> you know, in those early days, Adam, did you have any glass artists that you like really enjoyed or followed um, closely? Uh, yeah, the like so the the there was like the scientific glass, and then there was the the like more like art glass. I remember on the art glass side. I watched the Bella G glass showcase on the CCC 420 and I was like, I fucking love this shit. Like the line work was super cool. Like he does like lip wrap sort of stuff. And um, they had a really beautiful like selection of his stuff. Like they had a couple of homies all like throw, throw their stuff together. She's hella dirty now, but so I just remember seeing that. And I was like, dude, these pieces are like so beautiful and like delicate. And like, these were times where we were throwing bongs and backpacks and like hoping for the best and i knew that like i couldn't get one now but at some point when i had like a sesh table and could you know a pelican like i'd i'd want to get one of those so <laughs> bella g was always on my mind um nate myers from the early days because i remember seeing him because he would do sort of like collabs with like sovereignty so you'd see them cross over with like the scientific people adam's not flexing but he was a mod in the nate myers facebook group yeah, I was trying to pull it out of them. That's later down oh, the line. Yeah, that was in the glory <laughs> days, dude. That was more in my in my college years. But yeah, I uh, I was blessed to help out on the Facebook group for a while. I'm, it's still up there. It's pretty dead. I don't think anybody uses Facebook anymore. But before Instagram really became the like end all be all of like glass and the, the culture like there was really strong facebook groups and it was cool like you know you could find your specific artists or you know if you had like styles like there was like a whole space glass group um that was like nate and joe flex and sagan and stuff like that but i really liked the nate group because everyone was so fucking friendly and like a lot of other groups were just pretentious and you'd get like lots of like people shitting on each other and like you know and the Nate group was just very inclusive like even if you only have like a slide or like a marble everyone was like super nice so but stoked on that dude and that was nice too because I met a lot of people even before I was a mod I met a lot of people through that Facebook group because you know you just end up you, you you see the same couple names pop up and you start figuring out like who people are and like what kind of rigs they got and you know eventually like maybe like where they live or when people were traveling back in the day you sort of like hit up your groups and see if anybody would want to like link up and sesh so well i met tons of people through glass dude. it's so crazy let's uh let's talk about college i mean let's let's yeah i mean shit because that's really i mean high school was cool and like i definitely smoked lots of weed but yeah college was definitely where um i just got way more experience i remember my the the original goal um going to school was like i gotta find a homie from cali who's got connections out there so we can just fucking just start getting good weed and concentrates like because that was always the goal and like i couldn't really get concentrates you know i started getting it sporadically in like 2012 like here and there and when we could get it shipped in from our homie but you know, late 2012, early 2013 was when we really, like, made that transition from 
smoking mostly flour and concentrate when we could to really just trying to focus on getting slabs or you need to you need to tell these kids you need there was a point in time where no amount of money no amount of money oh man okay i will say one thing so the first time (coughs) the first time i went to go buy dabs was a was an ordeal dude so i'm in i'm in new york my buddy max shouts out to my man griffo i hope he's out there um my man's like yo i found i found some kids on instagram they live in fucking greenwich connecticut which is like the richest part of connecticut they've got 710 labs and native roots packaged grams and they're down to sell some to us for an ungodly amount of money i think it, it might have been like a hundred dollars a gram type shit like it was expensive it, at least 80 a gram for trim bho so you know we're antsy and we're just like fuck it let's just drive out there and like hope that like he hits us up like on the earlier side of when he said and he's like literally like out to dinner with his family and we're like just hanging out like waiting for him to finish up so he can come sell us our like six grams of oil we can go smoke and uh it took it took so long we paid so much money but that was what you had to do for content and it was like he was doing us a favor like he didn't need to sell us those like handful of grams at the time. Like he was fine just smoking that stuff. But yeah, it was uh it was it was not great, but it was you know just being able to take dabs was so fantastic. People don't know. Kids don't know. They're spoiled these days. I mean, it was a lucky time. I mean, there was lots of times after that where I mean we smoked those grams so quickly, bro. And then and then you'd be you'd be out, and then you'd hit up everyone you knew, and no one. Your, your regular weed guys would never have it. You know, you'd have to have like a connoisseur homie who maybe could get you hooked up. Dude, I remember, I'm going to put my homie on blast. My man, Jack, you know, my man, Jack comes out there, dude. This guy would tell us, oh, yeah, man, I'm out of oil. I'm out of oil. Like, you know, can't sesh. And then I went over one night because I got some oil. So I brought some stuff to sesh. And then this motherfucker opens a fucking box in his room and he had fucking oil. And I was like, motherfucker, I thought you said you were out. And he's like, oh, well, you know, you got to you gotta make sure you got enough for yourself first. And I'm like, damn. Oh my God. Damn, dog, you greedy. We're out here starving. Really? You're up in your castle like a dragon. <laughs> You're learning how it really works. You know? Dude, oh, man. I never, I never felt more portrayed. I was like, bro, there were times where I would have done anything for a dab and you were just sitting on a couple grams. Like... <laughs> betrayal dude too funny so what uh you know how did that progress as as university went on you know you you established your connections i know at some point i think you went out to california and spent some time out there so i did i did sort of two separate trips so that freshman year literally the first homie i met at orientation my buddy ben uh from norcal from the san francisco bay area you know him and all of his buddies had med cards and do did the club thing. So we were getting, so we were getting stuff for one of his buddies for like, you know, the whole year. And then I think it was spring break. He invited like myself and like three other friends to come and crash at his, you know, parents place and just like go see California. Cause you know, we hadn't, I'd never been to the Bay area at least. That was my first time out there. And uh, we'd made some arrangements to sort of pick up like, some good quantities of of concentrate from some of his local homies at the time so that was like that was the first trip where i was like wow like smoke pretty much straight oil for a week was hooked immediately 
And then um, a few years later, <clears throat> I uh, got an internship in LA because um, Northeastern does like one of these things where you have to do like um, two or three six month internships as part of your like degree program. So I got a job in LA in a restaurant because I was at the time I was still thinking I wanted to do restaurant management type stuff and um, took that job paid absolute dirt, but I really just wanted to go be in LA and get my med card and like have my own sort of like weed experiences and do the clubs and events and just try to smoke as much as I could. So, and what was that like? Oh man, it was, it was the most blessed experience. Definitely like changed my life. Those six months, it was like a beautiful combination of, you know, I went out during the winter time. So I'm, I'm at the what year was it? sun when my homies are literally getting three feet of snow. What year was this? That was January to July 2015. Okay. Yeah. So beautiful California winter, dude. Like I landed, my brother lived in LA. Um, so I stayed with him for like a week or two before like my like temporary housing was available. First thing I did, I spent five hours in line at the LA DMV, got a California state ID card. And then I went right after that to the fucking weed doctor and I got my fucking MMJ card, <laughs> went back to my brother's house. And I was like, Hey, is it cool if I order some weed to get delivered here? And my brother was like, yeah, like, of course, like, and I, I fucking did it. We got the, <laughs> but, um, I, I ordered some like, okay, weed. And then I went down to Venice medical center, I think the next day and got some, Banff and like hardcore OG from the West Coast Cure Dudes. And then a couple days later, I made my pilgrimage to TLC and they wouldn't let me in with my temporary ID. I was hella pissed. I took a 30 minute Uber and they wouldn't, they wouldn't let me inside. Um, Fuck. What do we got? Anything good? Banana bro? Yes, Did you? Um, so, but then after, once my ID came in, dude, it was like off to the races. I was. Cause I've been like watching all these videos and I'm, you know, listening to where my people are going and like the brands that I've been seeing in strain reviews are going to be available and shit. So, um, I went to a lot of dispos. The places that I ended up going to the most were TLC cause the, the oil refinery co was hitting back in the day. Um, Venice medical center, um, AHS in West Hollywood for the bougie shit, the weed in Studio City, usually for solventless and the bougie shit. Um, and then there are a couple other small dispensaries here and there that people would do like really micro drops at. But those places always had a nice variety. All the big homies would always drop their stuff there. So, yeah, Oz always had good hash. Dude, yeah, they really did. I, I remember going there one time and I got. Fucking, I think I got third gen stuff, Matt Rise stuff, and I got this one strain called Pink Champagne from uh, Natural Dabs. It was, dude, it's, I I hope someone still has that or like has like crosses of it because it was, it tasted like wine, it tasted like red fucking wine. Like it was unbelievable as straight water hash and it was beautiful water hash. It was air dried. Like it was crazy, but, um, yeah, they had, they had a lot of good hash at Oz. 
Jason Beck was the owner. Yeah. Um, I think he still owns it actually. And they and they do still have like a crazy selection of hats. I love going there. It was so small. There was this one crazy old lady who's usually the bud tender and she like she was on it, dude. She knew she remembered people and knew what they wanted. She knew what I was there for. Like always always the hash and the expensive live resin, pretty much. Yeah, what, that was a good spot. What were some of the strains that impacted you on that trip? <laughs> um, Other than the pink champagne. Oh well, I mean, fucking, I got, I got, I could only afford two grams of the of the um, the third gen family moonshine melts. I got a gram of the OZ Kush and a gram of straight Skittles, and the it literally turned into a puddle from my like drive from Koreatown to uh, West Hollywood. Like it was so greasy, it was unbelievable. There was nothing else like that that I'd smoked at the time and the skittles turps were just so loud dude just like coated your mouth and like those candy turps so that was a big one that pink champagne was big um i think it was like orange cookies from tlc at the time was the one that i was always hoping to to grab in concentrate form hardcore og was the king of the crop at the time that was like some of the best og turps mm-hmm. um what else was there? I got some sour D from Matt Rise that was pretty good back in the day. Um, I got OG Kush from Full Flavor that I remember was super tasty. So we wrap <laughs> up in Cali in that uh, internship. Yeah, come back to Boston for school. What sad times? What? Yeah, where where are you at? What what? Was what you well, dude, I was literally spoiled just going to clubs and you know, events and meeting people out in Cali. <laughs> and then I came back to Massachusetts and all those luxuries quickly just were gone. And my couple of homies who told me they'd be down to ship me stuff back out were got cold feet pretty quickly. So, you know, I had my weed plugs in the area and my buddy Brett at 207 Farms, who actually lived above me at the time, he, he would bring down tons of flour from Maine and just sell it to the college kids and he was a g so he'd let me know when he was coming back with flour and he let me come up and sort of check everything out and if i thought anything would do well he'd let me pinch like a nug or two off and go squish it in the living room with him he lived upstairs he was directly above me directly above me literally the exact same unit just one floor up um and I met him because he literally just knocked on our door with a joint and two, his two roommates and me and my roommate were eating dinner and we were like, oh, you smoke? We smoke. Like, like we're going to finish dinner, then we'll all smoke. Um, but yeah, so he would come through and he would let me squish flour. Um, and if anything yielded well, then I could buy like a zip of that and make a little bit of money. Because um, I started actually, I started squishing in Cali. To, to rewind, do we have a video of you in university hitting hot red hot nails let me see oh you know what so i'm gonna pull up one red hot. i gotta pull up two videos i've got both of them one of them i just realized didn't upload i'm gonna pull it up but yes quick. we do have that footage. so yeah if you can believe it yeah i do my buddy has uh he sent me this somewhat recently too which is actually hilarious it's amazing how much old like cannabis related content from adam's life he has and I've I'm, lost, I've lost a lot of stuff. Like I had all of my high school stuff, like 
you know, because wow. we documented that shit. We were we thought that shit was fucking. It blows hilarious. me away. He has so much documentation of his whole journey, and I'm like not a person who has tons of pictures. I love when Instagram came out in high school, dude. Because everyone had Facebook, and like you had to keep that kind of PG thirteen. Because like everyone's mom, college, and your family and shit. But then Instagram came out. And I was like, oh, like we can kind of do whatever the fuck we want over here, which is kind of sweet. Um, and took that to our advantage. So let me see if that video uploaded. Let me know oh, if you want me to pull that screen up. Yeah. So I'm going to pull up one video real quick because this is actually, this is history. This is the first melt dab I took, which was not too far after. The timestamp is telling me December 23rd, 2014. My buddy actually came back from Colorado with some... Uh, Trichome heavy extracts, the, the melts. Um, wow. Chem Diesel, Chem Diesel sister, fresh frozen hand trim. So not even the premium stuff. But she was pretty greasy for the time. Flagged smoked, up. Smoked it in my buddy's dirty ass basement. The hive. <laughs> in the hive nail. Yeah, dude. Oh, my goodness. But we were stoked. I was like... Oh yeah, I forgot that most of this video is terrible, but just your face. Just my face, yeah. Griffo was like, I didn't even know he was taking a video of, but it was some good half melt. I was uh Oh my gosh. I was pretty so dude, funny. it's such a fucking dirty basement. <laughs> <laughs> so such college years. Let me see if my other video came up yet. Oh, the other video is the other video is is you have great. to put out of some of iPhoto and then pop back into it. Oh yeah. But we can we can keep rolling if it's if it's if we uh, we can't find it. But uh, but yeah, so like that was a nice oh, flag. That was beautiful. Dude, it wasn't bad. I mean, I was lucky too because like you know, all of my homies were like myself and like the weed smoking connoisseurs. So I had a homie who went to uh, Boulder because he knew that he wanted to do weed stuff. So he was really the homie who we'd always be really excited when he would come back from braces. He would always bring some some rosin or hash or you know bho back in the day but always good stuff that's my boy danny and nice. uh, what about cultivation were you were you guys at, at all there i know you probably were in tight quarters with with being in, in university was that so that I, I didn't grow during college at all my boy brett who i talked about earlier he grew upstairs so i would help him out a little bit and like you know when harvest time would come and uh like trimming and stuff, I'd help them out, but I didn't really start growing until after college, until I moved moved out. Um, less roommates, more, more more space for weed plants type shit. Um, but we started small. I never really grew too, too much. Um, I think when we moved out to Framingham, we started with like a four by four, ten, just mostly fucking around. Um, yeah. Because I was also still working in restaurants at the time. I worked in kitchens until probably like 2018 almost. I think so. Um, so I was still, you know, I was still like part-time in the kitchen and then doing the weed stuff. So I was mostly focusing on trying to get the rosin stuff down. Um, so would it be safe to say then, Adam, that the catalyst for the inception of Mission Hill was Phil posting that video? Um, yeah, for sure. You seen that that video from Soil Grown? Yeah, me and my me and my buddy Brett were big like hash church people. So uh, 
what we saw, I saw, you know, people posting about it on Instagram. And I, I really thought, I really thought it was a hoax. I thought people were putting like little balls of BHO in, in nugs and then squishing it. And like, <laughs> I, I, I didn't think it was real. You know, it's like one of those things where you tell that to somebody at the time and you're like, no, that's fucking crazy. And I remember I had a little bit of, I had a little bit of water hash. I didn't have screens cause like that wasn't a thing yet, but I made it into a little ball and I squished it on parchment with a hair straightener. And I saw that it separated out. I saw that you could see the like particulate and then you could see clear sap. And then I did it with flour and, you know, the same sort of shit happened. Uh, I quickly realized that like the quality of your flour and um, the freshness, like the moisture content, all of that was pretty important. You could have good looking weed, but if it was old and like, you know, heavily machine trimmed and like low moisture like you go to squish that shit and like nothing would come out so mission hill melts was born out of necessity because i didn't have fucking shit to smoke on mission hill so i had to make some fucking some melts even though it wasn't really melts but you know i was really inspired by the by the moonshine melts guys i i like they're they were they had the best hash smoking period and i just liked the way it sounded so i sort of you know was like all right, well, I'm on Mission Hill, and I'm, you know, the end goal is, is Melt, so that's sort of where the name came from. That's awesome. That's yeah. really cool. So I want to pause there, and I want to kind of pivot over to Hana and learn a little bit about you. Hana, I know um, from just getting to hang out with you, um, you had a, a way different upbringing than Adam. You grew up, you actually got, you grew up in Indiana. Um, yes. Can you t- talk a little bit about you know, your early days, your childhood, what it was like growing up there. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Indiana. And I had a pretty um, sheltered upbringing. I grew up in a not not conservative, but, you know, like a, like a somewhat conservative Muslim family. Um, so I grew up with, like, pretty religious and cultural, like, values, um, being like strong strongly implemented in my life at all times so my uh family was always very don't do drugs if you do drugs you're gonna get addicted and you're gonna die like you're gonna be a piece of shit human you're gonna die basically so my family was very um you know like reefer madness propaganda i guess if if you wanna if you if you you know if you want to liken it to something um, they were always very uh, discouraging of stuff like that. So I had I had always been kind of aware of cannabis because I have a cousin who I refer to as the other black sheep of the family. And um, he was like eavesdropping on my sister. I have a sister. She's 10 years older than me. And I used to eavesdrop on her all the time. It was just the two of us. And uh she was gossiping with one of my other cousins about how one of our cousins always stinks of patchouli and it's because he's trying to cover up blah, 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 smells and he's such a fucking hippie and like all of this stuff. <laughs> my sister's really square. Um, so I'd always been kind of aware that I have this like specific cousin who's the black sheep and he like smokes weed and smells like patchouli. And so I'd always... and. I always kind of had a feeling that I would follow in his footsteps because he was the cousin that I was always closest to. He was the cousin I always gravitated towards. 
we have a very large, I think we have like a 17, 16 or 17 year age gap. We have a very large age gap, but we're very close. Um, so I always had a feeling that I'd kind of uh, go in his direction. So I was always aware of cannabis, but my family was very anti, anti-cannabis. Um, my, my, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. She, she was a homemaker. She took care of us. Um, and my dad was a doctor. And so they were, you know, I was raised very square. I was raised very square. I hear a lot of like Adam's experiences and stories <laughs> that he tells about his childhood and his youth. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy. I can't imagine stuff like that. Yeah, we got so. down. We ran from police and shit. It was a good time. Can't imagine stuff like that. Cause I was like a goody two shoes. I was the teacher's pet. <laughs> I was, yeah, that was me. <laughs> Super annoying. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So, I mean, when was, when do you, do you remember a moment when you became aware of, of cannabis? Like, I know you talked about your cousin and overhearing sort of the, the, Oh, he smells like, the tree, but was there, was there a point in your, in your, in your childhood where you became aware that there was this drug called cannabis and you could smoke it and, and what was that like? So that same cousin came to, used to come to visit all the time. So he came to visit when I was in high school. I think it was a freshman in high school and he was driving me somewhere and he dropped a joint in the car. Like he had a joint in his pocket and it fell out of his pocket and like into the, <laughs> into the crack. And I, and so, so that was like basically it because I literally, I saw it, I saw it fall out of his pocket and onto the floor. And then he was like, cool, we have to stop. Cause also we're in Indiana where everything is like very, very, very legal. And you'll just like go to jail for fucking forever. Especially cause like we're, brown so they'll just like add something else onto it and then just like for lock you real. up for the rest of your life <laughs> it's like not a great place so um so he like pulled over into like the grocery store parking lot and like hopped out of the car he's like pushing the seat all the way back like looking all over the floor so that that was like it for me and then um i obviously knew that i had like classmates and stuff who were partying and stuff like that but my dad was not well when I kind of like hit driving age and so like your independence age or whatever so I was not going out and partying I did not really have friends I was not like super social so I wasn't really partaking in any of that kind of stuff when was your first experience with cannabis my first experience with cannabis was the so I ate <clears throat> I had an edible on accident in high school so that was like a really terrible experience where oh, i ate man. a brownie it was not on purpose i was like in like a shadow of grief so i was just kind of like acting and not really like cognizant of what i was doing i like ate a brownie a huge brownie and then i drank a glass of milk and then i went to sleep and i woke up and i didn't know what the fuck was going on <laughs> it was like you know, for someone who's never had cannabis before, yeah, to like be tough, eat an edible, not knowing that you're eating an edible, go to sleep, wake up. It's like a, it's it's almost like a psychoactive experience. You know, it's like a it's real weird. I feel like not real too many people's first experiences with edibles either. I feel like edibles as a first time experience is particularly yeah. strange. 
I wouldn't. It, it's not edibles. I feel like will will rock you like in weird ways. It was not oh, a great like, time. It was not a great time. I was with, I was like kind of with some distant family. So it was a little bit awkward. And then we, they made me like go out and then we saw other people we knew and I was like fucked up and didn't know what was going on. So I was not having a good, not great, not great. So that was my first great, technical cannabis experience. So it was an edible in high school, but the first time I smoked weed was um, in college. Yeah, college. And was that a pleasurable experience? Yeah, it was great. I like I vividly, vividly remember that. So I um, sold for a semester before I ever smoked, and then I I vividly remember the first time I smoked. I <laughs> I laughed so hard that I was in physical pain. And I, I couldn't tell you what we were laughing about, but I was with a couple of people that I'm actually still in touch with, surprisingly. Um, but I was with a couple of friends and we were all sitting around the table. There were a bunch of dogs everywhere. I think there were like five dogs in the house at the time. And like, I love animals. So we were having a great time. I just remember laughing so hard that I was in literal stitches. Like I was in pain and i woke up the next morning and my abdomen was <coughs> in pain. so yeah. hard it was magical it was magical Definitely. smoking joints we we're just rolling up joints and passing them around i miss really the giggles fun. dude i wish we could all get the giggles oh back. my god yeah you the just giggles start smoking are too much weed the giggles are gone <laughs> so after call so you went away to college for that first year and then you know yeah. you, were, you actually had to come home I did. Um, I moved home uh, to to help my mom take care of my dad. So my dad had a a rare form of dementia. It's called frontotemporal dementia. So there's not a lot of um, it's it's not super common. There's not a ton of reported cases. And my dad had a very advanced case. It was something that progressed really fast. So when he was initially diagnosed, his prognosis was that he would be functioning and probably be able to continue practicing for a good five to seven years. And then he'd have to like wind down and retire and he'd have like kind of a slow decline from there. But my dad was diagnosed and passed away within four and a half years. So four years within four years. Um, so his, his case was, was very fast. So uh, I left for my freshman year of college in fall of 2012. And I my sister got married Labor Day weekend of 2012. So I remember coming home from my sister's wedding and I could see on my dad's face that he didn't fully recognize me when I showed up. And so that's kind of when I knew that I probably wasn't going to be away for very long. So I actually um, came home early from that second semester. I like took all of my exams early and came home. So I moved home uh, from Ohio back to Indiana both places where cannabis is big no no um so i moved back home into my mom's house to help my mom take care of my dad uh his condition was such that like there's no assisted living facilities or anything like that that's really um qualified to handle something like that so the only thing that you can really do is just like take care of the person you love at home. So that's what we did. Um, and that really 
sparked like my love and my interest in cannabis because my same black sheep cousin would come and visit and he would say stuff like, I wish our family wasn't so anti-cannabis because it could help him. And I just remember him saying that over and over again to me and I never really understood it. Um, so it really, it really lit a fire in me to, to kind of try to understand more. And so, you know, when did that happen? You, was it, was it after your dad's passing that you gave, you started to explore more or how did that evolve? Yeah. So I, um, between, between coming home and then my dad passing away, uh, my mom and I got into some, got into some conflict um, I was out of the house one day and my sister was like, I think she's doing drugs. Cause I was like rebellious or whatever. So my sister came home and my sister and my mom tore apart my room and they like found a bunch of weed in my room. So they got super upset. My mom kicked me out of the house. So for about four and a half months, um, my mom, like, took care of my dad totally on her own without me because she didn't want to look at my face because she thought I was like a dirty drug addict. <laughs> um, so I lived away from home and that's kind of when I really started to try to learn more just because I wasn't restricted by being at home and not being able to partake or consume or whatever. Because when I say I was at home, I was at home all the time. I wasn't going out. I wasn't doing stuff. I was at home with my mom and my dad all the time. My dad needed full where, time. Where work. did you go when you left? Uh, your when my mom kicked me out. So my mom did this hilarious thing where she gave me a carry-on bag and she stood over me like this while I packed the bag and I'd put something in the bag and she'd pull it out and she'd be like, your dad and I paid for that. You're not taking that. So she watched me pack a bag of clothes. Oh yeah, it was hardcore. She watched me pack a bag of clothes and uh, where I lived in Indiana um, was a college town. There was a college campus, Ball State University. And she was like, you seem to have so many friends, figure it out. And she dropped me off on the corner of campus. It was literally snowing. It was December. She dropped me off on the corner of campus with, with my carry-on bag. And she was like, figure it out. Figured it out. I called called a girl from, I called this girl that I went to high school with and I just, she was a year older than me. I had remembered in my brain that at one point during high school, she got in a fight with her mom and her mom and she like left, left home for like a week. So I called her and I was like, hypothetically, uh, if my mom kicked me out of the house and it's snowing outside and I had nowhere to go, what would I do? <laughs> and, um, bless her heart shout out to linda sherfick she was like oh my grandma bought me a ticket to like go to france for a month for vacation so i'm not gonna be in my house if you want to stay at my house and she let me stay at her house so i stayed at her house for like two weeks and then i found a place to um i like took over someone's sublease on campus basically i like figured it out but my mom basically dropped me off. She's like, figure that shit out. Builds character. <laughs> yeah. You know? mm -hmm. it's all, it builds character. <laughs> sink, or, sink or swim, for sure. Yeah, pretty much. And <laughs> I mean, seriously, it, it, it builds character. I had like no idea what I was going to do. Everyone in my family was mad. No one would speak to me. It was, a, you know, it was I 
had to figure it the fuck out and it built a ton of character because sometimes in life you just got to figure stuff the fuck out and it's helpful to be like if you can if you can just get like dropped off on the side of the road and be told to figure it out and figure it out you can probably figure out whatever's on your plate in front of you so builds character i'm like not mad about it at all i have like no ill will i love my mom she's my homie we're friends it's great (laughs) so it's so you eventually moved home before i did Okay. I did. We like we patched stuff up and I and I moved home. Um, my dad passed away in October of 2014. And like three or four days after my dad passed away, my mom was like, you should start thinking about what stuff you want to take with you and what stuff you don't want to take with you because we're leaving. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I have plans to leave here and go go here. Maybe you're going there, but I'm not going there. I was I had plans to move to Chicago. I had accepted a job offer. It's getting ready to move. My mom was like, "No, I need you. I'm moving to Massachusetts, and you are coming with me." And that's what happened. So Christmas of 2014, wow. yeah, she's like, "I need your support. Your sister is pregnant and married. Like she has her own life. What are you doing? You're gonna support me. You need. I need your support. Your dad just died." cool, I'll support you. So we moved to Massachusetts and that's how I ended up on the East coast. Wow. Yep. So what was, what, what was your first move once you got out here? Like, what, did you know anybody? Did you did, like, what was your, what, what did does you support do? mean? What does like, support what, what from my that, mom mean? What did mean? that mean? Yeah. Yeah. My, I think support from my mom meant like, so my mom and my dad got married. I think my mom was 17 when my mom and my dad got married. They were kids. Um, and they got married in India and they, you know, immigrated to like the classic immigrant success story. Like they moved to America. They had like no furniture in their apartment. When my dad, when my dad landed in America from India, he like got off of the plane and he, it was like, it was fucking snowing. And my dad didn't have a winter coat. He like didn't even have a coat. Um, so they had one beanbag in their apartment and that was like their only piece of furniture and my parents would rough it they would make my mom would make rotis like very thin thin round bread and they would live off of like a few rotis and like a can of corn or a can of beans for the whole week like they'd they'd stretch that shit out for days for days and they roughed it for a really long time um they roughed it for a really long time so my mom did not know an adult life without my dad. She didn't know a life without my dad, an adult life without some sort of companionship. And I think that the idea of just being alone was like more than she could bear. So I think I think she just needed a body, you know? I think she just needed someone. So, you know, my sister was occupied. She was expecting her first child. My sister's a doctor, so she was working. Um, so kind of the only option was that I go and support my mom. I was like, not gonna let her sink, you know? So, hundred yeah. yeah. so, you know, what was, you know, what was your first, uh, occupation or, or, or move yeah. when you got to the city? I mean, you were probably looking to get employment and, and meet some people. Yep. How did that look? My employment both of the both of my jobs that I had in my time in Massachusetts pre like coronavirus and pre Mission Hill Melts and all of that stuff 
uh, were really stressful. So I worked in um, like kind of corporate office finance type type roles and it was exhausting. It was really exhausting. Um, so my the first of my two jobs, I worked in finance for a psychiatrist. He owned like a large practice. He had multiple people working under him and I did I like managed all of his his accounts receivables and all of that stuff. And then um, I basically did the same thing for like a huge orthodontic company a couple years later. Um, super stressful all the time. So my like cannabis intake was like up, 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 up all the time. All the way um, up. <laughs> dude, I specifically remember I had a hater at my at my job at the at the orthodontic company. And my hater went to my boss and was like, I think you should fire her. She smokes weed on her lunch breaks. Narc. I would go, I would go, I'd and go so sit in my car in the parking lot at work and I would dab in my car in the parking lot at work. There are cameras. I didn't give a shit. So are you uh, into the culture at this point? Like, are you aware of Mission Hill Melts? Yeah, so I was getting custied on Mission Hill Melts. <laughs> I, I was getting Not from me. Not, not from, from me. him. Not from him. But I was getting custied. I remember Mission Hill Melts when Mission Hill Melts was flour rosin. I remember flour rosin in paper coin envelopes. Oh, I awesome. have been... I, I'm, I'm going to pull some, some old pull it up. Pull it up. I've been smoking. I'd been smoking Mission Hill Melts for a long time, and I was paying costly prices for a long you got time. For sure, dude. For sure. So, so you're first. So you're getting involved in the the culture. You're you're developing some type of friend group. You were working so I in. Had, I had met a couple people who like worked in cannabis or were growing weed or whatever. And I um, was going to the Freedom Rally every single year. And so the Freedom Rally is where I um, originally interacted with Adam and stuff. Yeah, so the first time Adam and I met was at the Freedom Rally in 2017. Um, the Freedom Rally is like the the Black Friday for trappers. It's like a million people in and it's a fucking blur. Um, what are we looking at here? This is the this is the original. Yeah, if you were smoking, if you ever got Mission Hill Mouse like this, you're you're a, a real OG. Um, also, I'm gonna flex. This is literally how the beginning flower rosin was done, half gram at a time. This this is pineapple. I remember this one specifically. This is like one of the better flower rosins we ever did. This is the Frankenstein press that I was using before the H frames were were popping before people were making plate kits and whatnot. This monstrosity got some good mileage done. Yeah. So Hannah, you were uh, you were working in finance. Yes. You were following the culture. You were you were kind of connecting through Boston Freedom Alley. Were your yep. friends weed people at that point, or were you still kind of trying to figure out, you know, what was that? How was that? Yeah. So I didn't really have a huge friends group in in Massachusetts. Um, when I moved up, I had like a, a very funny thing where my I have family in the area. So um, my family lives in Boylston. So um, 
my aunt has lived in that community and been active in that community for probably like almost 40 years now at this point. So I moved to Massachusetts and she set me up on like a blind friends date with a couple of like other young girls from the Muslim community. Basically, she was like, here, these are the kinds of friends that you should be friends with. These nice girls who go to the mosque, be friends with these girls. So she set me up on like this funny, like blind date with these girls. So we sat down, dude, this is actually really funny. We sat down at Buffalo Wild Wings because Buffalo Wild Wings was like down the street from my house. We sat down at Buffalo Wild Wings and I was there with three different girls. And one of the girls looked straight at, straight at me and she was like, do you care if I order a beer? And I was like, no, I actually don't mind at all. Go ahead. Um, and I think that that was more or less like a, how haram are you? Yeah. Like, I'm testing yeah. the waters. Like, how religious <laughs> are you? Like, are you, I'm going to order a beer. Like, well, I'll, I'll show you, I'll show you where, where we'll take this. That's pretty much. Cool. And it was really funny. The whole, the whole evening was just like, kind of like a one-upping of stories of like a, I'm, I'm actually not that square. I'm actually like not that religious. I know your aunt set me up on this like date with you, but I'm, we're not we're not like that. This is gonna <laughs> oh, go funny. well. That's awesome. It's it's really funny. And so like when I so I I was like, does does anyone have a good plug for me? Because I'm I I need stuff that I can't you know. So anyone and um, Rehan, dude. Of course. Yeah, got the of plug. Course. You got the plug from the church group. From, from, that's so from the mustard group. Yeah, I sure did, dude. It's Down really with the Muslims. See? Yeah, so one of my... Dude, and the kid who I was picking up from, you also met him. McTasty? Yep. You remember Mo? Yeah. yeah. So I like... I. It's really funny. So my, my aunt basically, like, we moved here. And I was on, like, my, my family thought I was on this, like, rebellious track of bad behavior. So we moved to Massachusetts, and we were close to family. And they were like, oh, we're going to push you to be friends with this, like, group of people who's going to set you on the straight path. You do that. Yeah, you do that. Um, so I am still friends with all of those people. Like, those are, it's really great because, like, those are also my Muslim community friends, but they're also, like, my fun friends. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Cool. So luckily I was like, I I found my supply through them for the most part. Um, and I was like, I was lucky to have that. So I was mostly hanging out with people who were either cannabis industry or cannabis adjacent at that point. Yeah. Cool. So after you sort of decided that the finance administrative support role world wasn't for you you like adam also pursued a, a role in the culinary world Can i did what about that yeah i kind of always wanted to go into the food industry i always wanted to do pastry um i remember as a kid telling people that i was going to be a dentist and then i was going to open a bakery next to my dentist office and i was going to give people cavities and then i was going to fix them and that was my master plan so that's what i used to tell people when i was a kid um and then that evolved to i just want to have a bakery um so i went to pastry school i basically got really burnt out at my job i applied to pastry school as a joke i 
didn't think it was going to happen or that I would get in or whatever the case may be. I applied to like a very specific program within pastry school. And um, it's like, it was really weird. You had to submit, oh, careful. Um, you had to submit like a very long personal statement about why you wanted to pursue this program and all of this stuff. And I got into the program and they were like, here, we'll pay for it all. So then I was like, cool, I hate my job. So, so that sounds great to me. So I was still, I was working part-time. I'd still, um, I'd come into the office like three times a week and I'd work and I'd do a little bit of work remotely. But um, I went to pastry school and it was a shit ton of fun. It was really, really fun. Cool. Yeah. It's, a, it's incredible how many people who are involved in Hash have culinary So values. many. Whether so it's professional people. or non uh, unprofessional, they're like, oh yeah, no, I love to cook. I, I make really, or or yeah, I actually was a chef or I worked in the kitchen or I was a pastry artist or, you know, whatever it was. So I think that that's really cool. Yeah. Um, so how did, you know, you, you and Adam met in a very, you know, crazy fucking time. Uh, I think did. A very cool story. So how did how did that actually work out? Because you 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 were aware of Adam far longer than Adam was yeah. aware. Of um, I so if you can believe it. So we originally we originally met in right 2017 Freedom Rally. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was. So we met in 2017, and um, I liked him, and he didn't remember me, which is fine. It's fine. Busy day. It's fine. I get it. I'm not upset about it at all. I promise. Very and um, and then we saw each other again in 2019 at the Freedom Rally. So that also was also very busy. But I also remember. very busy. But um, I spent a lot more money that time. So I think he remembered me that time. That's what it, um, it works. But yeah, we started talking after that. Um, and then I think we started like actually hanging out just the two of us right before quarantine popped off, right? Just, yeah. It was just before quarantine popped off and then COVID happened and my mom has health issues and she's on, she was on like a chemotherapeutic medication at the time. So she had no immune system. Basically she was like, you're not leaving the house to see random people when there's like undisclosed crazy pandemic virus going on outside. That's not, you're not coming in and out of the house. That's not a thing that happened. I had my own apartment in Providence at the time still from, from pastry school. So I was like, cool, I'll just leave then. And so I left and then um, called Adam and I was like, cool, I'm coming over. And I showed up with like a bunch of bags and a laundry basket full of clothes and a bunch of shit. And I was like, trial by fire, let's do this. Still here, world's longest third date. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, yeah. And I man. mean, man, Adam, how was that? I was, I it was great. <laughs> blessed blessed timing dude because honestly like i don't know what i would have done during the pandemic otherwise granted like you know i had bruno and he's great company but you can't really talk to talk to bruno because he's a dog obviously um it, it definitely doesn't stop you 
it was like, and I had been on a particularly long, like dry streak. I had not dated anybody for a long period of time, dude. It was a very much like a, a blessed occurrence. What Hannah like doesn't, didn't mention in her story is that when I, Hannah, we met in person, but then I sort of reached back out and I, I sort of remember it, but I didn't know a hundred percent. And I actually, I, dude, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'll say it here. I slid into the DMs. The one and only time I ever did, I slid in, into the DMs and it worked out. So he okay. shot a shot semi blind too. I like made art for his ex partner and it was posted on my art page. And um, he like it was Mission Hill. It was like the Mission Hill Melts logo. I made it like hand stitch embroidery. So he saw it and so he shot a shot blind on my art. Yeah, page. just because I like the art. <laughs> Lots of butts on that art and page. If we're out. being real, it worked out. So. so. So okay. I, I wanted, so what, I mean, what, what was your, what was your first job at? Yes. Oh dude, God, it dude. was not glamorous. I started from the bottom. My first we job. Were, we were incredibly busy. Like the, yeah, pan, it was the pandemic didn't slow us down at all. Like most people, it probably made us even busier. It was slammed. It was like, it was nonstop. It was crazy. My first job at Mission Hill Melts. Um, so we had, we made hash in a detached garage. So the house like kind of sat up on a little slope and then the detached garage was down here and there's no like running water or drainage in this detached garage. So to fill the res, to like drain all of the wash water, you're, you're snaking shit up from the house into the, into the garage. Yeah. So, so we, we literally, we would have our filter in our underneath our kitchen sink connected to like a hundred feet of quarter inch tubing. And I'd run that into our cold room in the garage that had a hundred gal res with a float valve on it. So that would take like, you know, a good couple hours for that thing to fill up. That was my first job is running that line out from the kitchen into the garage. And then after a wash day, we would have like a hundred gallon, basically like feed trough from, um, like tractor supply and um we would dump the water in there and then at night we'd have a sump pump we'd we'd put in and we'd pump all the water out we tried out pumping the water and up into our kitchen sink yeah so that was my other first job at mission hill melts was pulling that hose from our detached garage up and into our kitchen sink like into the drain so we would at times be pumping GMO water into our kitchen. Loud turps, loud, loud, funky hash water. I turps. love GMO. One of my favorite things of all time. <coughs> like rank GMO water down your kitchen sink is a horrible <coughs> smell. It's a horrible smell. Yeah, it was and nice. there's few things on earth that can cover that smell. Hash water gets really funky really quick for anybody who's never dealt with hash water. So that was not fun. We tried dumping it on our, our front lawn and we quickly found that if it, it was banged. if it was warm out, dude, it would basically just like aromatize any water soluble terps and yeah, our lawn banged like, like this. straight fucking loud. Yeah. How um you know, after the months settled out and the systems improved and um, I don't think you're 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 in the same setup as you were at that point. You know, where where do the roles fall? Like, what what roles do do you occupy, Adam? And and how does the division of labor work now? 
Well, so Adam was really busy at the time. He was doing work in Massachusetts, and then he had the facility job in Rhode Island. Um, and we were in the works for starting to figure up like a venture up in Maine. So Adam was doing a ton of work, and he was really tired all the time and really stressed out. And sometimes when he's really tired and he's really stressed out, he's real grumpy. And I don't love it. Um, I don't love it. So uh, it got to a point where I just couldn't take the grumpy anymore. And I was like, how about you teach me to do some of this so I can take it off of your plate so that you're less grumpy and everybody's life is better. Um, so he taught me how to squish. And then I was like, oh, I really like this. This is my job now. No one's taking this away from me. So I basically commandeered that role. And so you like other than the squishing, like I know, Hannah, you work a lot on like the, the marketing and you guys have like a really, really strong brand presence in the clothing line. Like I, I know you're are you pretty involved in that side as well? Yeah, I do. Um, I do a lot of the back end stuff like I do a, a lot of the graphics. It's not my forte. I really try my best. But Illustrator makes me want to rip my hair out. But um, for for at least a year now, I've been doing all of our graphics. So like all of our design templates and things like that. Um, we love to plan events. So we do a lot of event planning. I'm like really involved in all of that stuff. Uh, we make edibles. I'm like very involved in all of the development of all of those things. So it's really fun. It's a real team effort. And for, yeah. you know, it's it's the two of us and now Drake in the washroom. So Shout out to Drake. You know, we will, we will, we will definitely, we will definitely be chatting about Drake more. Actually, let's, you know, let's chat about it now, Adam. You know, let's talk about the lab. You recently upgraded from um, hand washing in a, a stainless vessel to uh, an automated machine from Hashtag. You know, what's what's your current setup look like? What are you running? Um, yes, yes, yes. Well, what, we're we're super. It got to a point where we, I sort of hurt my shoulder. And we couldn't get through the amount of material we were needing to. And it just, you know, nicely coincided with uh, the first melding of the heads in Washington, where we got to play around with the hashtag um, 65T. Um, so I went into the melding of the heads very much looking at that as a test drive, like knowing that my hand washing days would be numbered and i liked what hashtag was doing and i thought they were the most affordable of anything that i've seen on the machine side so far so we we got to use that for two basically two days um i was really when we were using it with mikey um of mts farms and uh, professor q you know we were just trying to basically we each had a sort of motion we were looking for and we were trying to see how difficult it would be to dial the machine in to get to that sort of motion. And we all sort of hit what we were looking for. So I was happy with what it could do. Um, I knew the 65 T was too big for our space. That's sort of like uh, for anyone who doesn't know, it's like an all encompassing unit. It, pretty large it, tilts, it has the ability correct? to tilt you don't need like a table or anything you know it comes on casters i'm pretty sure um but for our setup i don't think i could get it through our door so that so, was uh so prior to prior to the hashtag what what did your lab look like 
pretty much, you know, like blow for blow, it looked pretty similar to what it does now. But instead of where, you know, right now we have the hashtag sitting on a stainless steel table. Before that, we had um, our 32-gallon um, brute container on a um, – what would you call that? It's it's like one of those, like, lift carts, yeah. you know? Like, it's got, like, a foot pedal on the bottom, and it's hydraulic. So we would wash on that, and then for a long time, we were just straight lifting things up. And then once my shoulder started getting sore, I, I you know, drilled some holes. We got some bulkhead adapters, and we put – some drains on them to make our life a little easier, but it was pretty much that dude, you know, we keep all, we keep our reservoir in our cold room to keep the water as cold as we can. So we don't have to spend as trying to spend as little energy as we can cooling the water down. Um, we're Come really on. lucky that we've got a, we've got a sink and we've got running water in our cold rooms and, and thusly like a drain. So we've got our, you know, secondary filters in our cold room and we've got our drain sink in there as well. What, uh, what kind of bags do you run? Um, right now we're rocking the micron extract bags for our collection bags. Um, and for the Q bags that we're running in the washing machine. Um, I'm going to, I want to do some R and D on some other Q bags. I think, I think they're all going to kind of suck, unfortunately. I don't think there's a great design. I've had a couple of issues with the Micron Extract cube bags, but pretty much all of those cube bags, I feel like, have some flaws somewhere along the line. So it's just sort of, you know. Uh, before we go into, like, where you're seeing these flaws in these cube bags, I want to dive into this topic because previously yeah. to this, uh, you washed in, as you mentioned, a Brute. Uh, yeah. And or a brutless and um and you watched uh naked and now with this new machine um what what's the reason that you're choosing to wash in bags here well uh our first test wash we did we actually did naked sure did and it was you know i preface this always by saying that the material was like degrade it was not you know, the, it was bad. It was not like nice nug. It was like very small, almost like powderized, fresh frozen, like basically something that I was saving to test drive this before I put other people's stuff in there. And that wash did not go very well for me. Um, I had some issues. I had basically two issues. The material was so fun that it started clogging up the false bottom for me so that I couldn't drain all the water on the first sort of dump. So that was, that was problematic. Then when I went to recirculate the water back up because the perforations were clogged, when the water came up, the whole false bottom lifted up almost like a shelf. And then material got underneath that false bottom. So then I went for my second pull. My ball valve was clogged with plant material. So, you know, thankfully it was like stuff that I was saving for that specific reason that I was expecting nothing out of really. Like it wasn't great material. But um, it made me gun shy to go naked 
it, I also found, especially with no no can liner, especially the cleanup was extremely difficult and extremely time consuming. And you know, we're do, we're mostly processing other people's material. We're you know, hopefully be walking into a grow in the near future, but our priority is being able to be as efficient as we can with our time. So when I'm trying to run multiple sort of batches in a day, I couldn't spend the amount of time it took me to clean in between runs. Doing them in the queue bags, everything stays nice and contained, which means that when I'm switching in between people's runs, it's a lot easier for me to get back into the next one. If you think about it, like what's easier, grabbing three or four cue bags with like 2,000 grams of material or one 50-gallon bag with 8,000 grams of material? Like, And what adjustments have you had to make operating with the cubes versus uh, how you used to operate before? Well, I mean, you know, that's the thing. It's like there was never really like a, a – buff- I used to wash with cubes when I first started washing, actually. I'm pretty sure if I – pretty sure I've got some – some pictures of my OG washes, but I used to use the cubes. I was trying to follow the 710 lab sort of style tech. Um, and it was good. It was fun. I didn't really have a problem. Um, we really switched from cube bags to open washing because we found that we could stuff more material in a barrel naked as opposed with the cubes. The cubes, we felt like you need a lot more water. You need a lot more room for them to move around in for the extraction to be efficient. Um, and you know, that is true. And there are some, you know, different things you have to worry about when you're using the Q bags versus the, um, versus naked washing. Cause your biggest worry with the Q bags is just like your material getting bunched up, you know, cause it's not as open. Your, your material doesn't have the room to flow like it does in the naked washes. So and that's being able to work with material that you've had experience with prior are you able to achieve the same level of quality that you were achieving before? For sure. Quality wise, absolutely. Yields are just about on point too. You know, it's sort of tough going batch to batch, but everything has been just about on point. So it's, but that's mostly the the melt is beautiful. The melt is beautiful. You know, a lot of it is getting, you've seen me post on my Instagram stories, you know, I'm, I'm posting our washes and you know, the way I have the machine running is that there's this sort of movement where the bags sort of flip themselves. I'm looking for, I'm looking for the bag movement because, you know, for the first wash, I'm pretty, I'm pretty much like standing there washing it. And every, every couple minutes or so I'll stop and I'll sort of move the bags around because the first wash is always, if you think about it, the material is like by volume, it's going to be the most. And then as the washes go on, it sort of slowly releases the water and, your bags sort of get a lot smaller and everything moves a lot easier. So I sort of baby that first wash, just making sure that nothing's bunching up, trying to make sure the water's <laughs> flowing as nicely as we can. Um, and then the other thing, since we've used the cue bags, I'm, I, between the cue bags and the washing machine, I'm definitely using more water per wash, which is, you know, not ideal if you're like, I don't know. I feel like water hash, we use a lot of water. I try to be as conservative as we can, but to get the movements that I wanted to make sure we have the flow, like I, I have to use more, a lot more water than what I was using previously, but that's sort of the trade-off, 
you know, use a little bit more water and don't have to do as much physical activity. And that's sort of a no brainer for me right now. From a technical perspective, what are some of the issues that you as a maker see with these cube bags? There is just, I mean, well, you know, if you think about it, they're definitely getting jostled, which like that's wear and tear. That's tough for sort of anything. What I've found is, you know, we we had issues like this. Like, you know, I went to go zip a bag up and it just it just got off the treads, basically. And like, I can't get it back on. Like, I have to maybe bring this thing to like, I don't know, like a tailor or like a like a shoemaker or something like, you know, because zipper repairs like a weird niche thing. And then um, another one of them, I actually, this was my fault. I thought I had pulled out all of my bags. I was going to clean in between rounds and I pull all my cue bags out. I empty them out. I spray them down. I hang them up. I thought I grabbed all of them and I accidentally left one of them in the vessel and I use a cleaner called Star Sand, which is like a high acid base. And I accidentally poured that onto a bag that I didn't realize was still in the machine. And that actually fucked with like the um, the stitching. So, uh, so that was that was my fault. I can't I can't blame anybody but myself. Like oh, that stuff is really not meant to be. It's great for stainless steel and food grade plastic, and it'll sanitize anything it touches. We, we basically wash it through our wash vessel, then spray that down with water, and then it goes into our collection vessel, and then we spray that down with water, and we move all that water through our recirculating pump, and that sort of cleans all of the connections internally, and then we flush everything with fresh water. Um, but yeah, I think it's just like, the problem is you want like a robust zipper, but you don't want it to be metal because it's going to be getting beaten up in a stainless steel vessel and you don't want to like scratch your, your vessel too much. Um, I just think like trying to stitch those like micron nylons are, is a hard task yeah. in general. Um, yeah. So I think, I think if someone can develop one where there's almost like no stitching and it's almost just like a shaped you know, if it could just be a, like a stitchless cue, I feel like that'd be the best possible yeah. thing. That'd be incredible. I'm I don't sure. know how that works, um, but maybe somebody in the manufacturing side. I've heard good things about the low template um, cue bags, but then I also had someone tell me that they suck. So uh, you just gotta try them out. We're gonna fuck around. You. Yeah, we're gonna do some testing. You know, yeah. You do. I want to switch gears a bit and ask you about personal preference stuff. Um, oh, you, you, are, <laughs> you are Mission Hill Melts. Um, so I think it's suiting to start with, you know, where do you guys fall with the rosin versus melt on a personal preference standpoint? Um, you know, let's start with Hana. I don't have a, I don't have a preference because I think that there's a time and a place for both. Like I, I, they're both really beautiful things. I, it's really hard for me to choose between, melt and rosin like that's why when we were talking about judges panels for melting of the heads i was like put me wherever you want to put me like figure out what caitlin likes best and then put me on the other one because i love them both i'll smoke them both all day long uh jameson knows like i'll sit there and i'll smoke all day long i'll do either i'll do melt or rosin so what about you adam i love melt 
and like rosin is for the amount of product we smoke we could it's really only we could only do rosin like hash is a very like special thing and you really gotta like take your time with it and like the the fine you know difference between it's that like perfect tent is a lot ceremonial smaller. a little bit it's like fun for special occasions like you have guests over that you really like you pull out the head stash melt you know it's like a it's a it's, I don't it's know. yeah. It's like it's it's a special thing. It's I. It's not something I want to do every day. Yeah. And the real truth is that you know e- even we wash a lot of stuff and like not a lot of stuff is melt is melt worthy. worthy. A lot of that stuff it you know like it could be all rosin. Yeah. And like when you get some stuff where you're like wow like this is like you know you flag it out and it looks like rosin you're like I want to share this with my homies you know but um. Yeah, I think I think it just melt is if you have time and you have something particularly special that you want to smoke. If it's what we smoke more, it's rosin all day. All day. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's definitely some 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 magic in melt. Um there's there's I'm I'm still not con- like confirmed one way or another whether the effect that I feel when I smoke melt is because I smoke more rosin. And then when I smoke melt, my body's not as used to it. So it, it's, um, it hits me much, much harder, um, when it's good melt, because I've never been in a situation where I've smoked for months more melt than rosin and seen the the difference there. But I feel as though there's definitely a medicinal, uh, benefit with, melt being unadulterated and not exposed to any heat or pressure and then having those kind of like it's almost like safety breaks where it won't let you hit it too hot like if you hit you're you're gonna know and it's just gonna be so apparent and you're gonna cook something that you were supposed to you know slow boil so i think that uh you know there's there's definitely place for both and so uh, happens for us i don't know if it's the same with you guys but We'll like we won't smoke melt for a while, and then it'll be like we'll have like a melt like night or like afternoon where we'll we'll be like all right, like we're gonna we're gonna blow through a lot more ISO than we usually do. We're gonna whip out you know like three or four things and put them all on parchment, and flag them out, and see how they look and sort of dab them because then it's like if you're just adding melt for a little while on the same bangers, it almost makes it a little less painful. Yeah. Um, fresh press versus cold cure. Where are you? Where are you falling on this, Adam? Cold cure. Nine, nine and a half times out of ten, cold cure. Unless it's trash. There's a very rare, rare instance where the fresh press stuff comes out tastier. And maybe it's like I don't know. Maybe it's just because when I usually am smoking fresh fresh press, it's like really, really fresh press. Like you know hasn't been off the plates for more than like an hour or two but yeah i don't know i think a lot of times i take fresh press abs and i don't get the full profile hana you were in agreement with that statement yeah i feel like for the most part when i i would say yeah for the most part when i pick up a jar of cold care i don't 
get a ton off the nose and I like, I want to, I mean, sorry, when I pick up a jar of fresh press, I don't get a ton off the nose. And like, for example, at anything that's on our fucking table right now, this strawberry cannoli, first of all, like wow. I can smell this from here. It smells like strawberries. I, I want that. I prefer that, you know, um, what, what do you like, say? What do you say to the people that would argue the other side of the coin where if you can smell it from here, then those are terpenes oxidizing and all the terps are inside the fresh press for you to have when you dab it? I don't give a shit. I just don't. I, don't, I haven't had that experience. I don't. I don't. Maybe, you know. Maybe there's just maybe. I don't know. I've, I just haven't had that experience. I've dude. never. There are very few things. And I've smoked a, like a. I smoke a lot. I smoke a lot. So. There's very few things. There's maybe been like a couple of things from Q because um, he does all fresh press, you know. So there's maybe even a couple of things from Q that I'm like, wow, this is crazy. I feel like it's almost like but, the in like the diamond and jam conversation that we've had where like lots of stuff doesn't do great with heat tech. But every now and then you find something that really does do nicely. It's kind of like that with fresh press where I feel like most stuff as fresh press is pretty meh and then every now and then you'll find a particular strain that it's like oh this might actually be a little nicer when it's fresh like it might lose a little light terpene like the trap cookies i love it as fresh press we keep it as fresh press yeah. always um when it batters up it loses the orange juice and it goes more like lemony yeah i get like almost like a like a like a lemon cleaner like almost windexy honestly and I prefer the orange. So that's like, that's one thing in particular where I like, I prefer the fresh press 100%. But other than that, that shit also oxidizes not, though, too. So like, it, it looks nicer as fresh press than yeah. cold here. Do either of you feel as though you've come across anything in your history that would do better uh, cured or at least dried rather than live? I could. No. Honestly, no. And I don't – I've washed dried stuff, and I have literally never liked almost anything. Anything dry material-wise that I've washed, it would – at best, it would be like, okay, this isn't bad, and that's, like, not really what you want to hear about your material. Like, I think we're sort of a fresh, frozen, or bust household here. Yeah, we are. I don't even – if people ask me to spin dry material, I literally tell them we're – a don't have freezer space and be like really not interested unless they want to pay us like a prohibitive amount of money to wash it. Then I'll I'll spin their mids. As a as a toll processor who has a unique look at a lot of different people's gardens, but I know you have a number of repeat um, or not repeat, but but uh, farmers that you work closely with year after year. Um, do you notice much difference crop to crop when, when you're washing uh, the same material from a, from a different either indoor or outdoor crop? Do you see much variance in that? Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, you like crop to crop wise, definitely. It's, you know, Maine's kind of funky where like, you know, your rooms have to be built to be able to run in like really, really cold and dry external conditions and then on the other side during the summertime it's not super hot but it, it can get warm and then you know we've got some humidity so 
it's usually depends on like how everyone's rooms are running. Um, but for the most part, I feel like okay. So for Aloha, for example, does, that, right? does it show up more in like size of head or yield percentage? Yield for sure. Okay. Um, so the heads kind of fall where they fall fell last year, and it's just the amount, the percentage. For in terms, of, if we're going outdoor comparison, this year to Outdoor's last year, crazy this different. year we had a beautiful outdoor growing season. Maine is notorious for having not great growing um, climate. But uh, we really had this pretty dry, pretty mild summer and fall. And, like, usually once October hits, it's like a dark, humid rain cloud just descends on all of the last year, outdoor. Last year, it rained, like, three weeks in a row at the end of outdoor season in Maine. It was a fucking nightmare. Yeah, so it's like if your stuff's not, not like, you know, packed up by, like, early October, it's usually... 50 50 but this year the entire month of october has been pretty fucking dry which was you know a godsend if you're grown outdoors that so, finishing week for most people was like eight straight days of gorgeous like sun it was yeah. really this year was a really nice end of season particularly so, so we, we run, stuff has been gorgeous we run different bag sets when we're doing indoor versus outdoor mostly because your indoor stuff is just so clean because you're in a controlled environment versus the the outdoor stuff where even when you're in a greenhouse, it's still just a little bit more. You got a little more dirt and dust and whatnot. So what uh, are your bag sets? How do they vary? So usually when we're doing indoor stuff, our growers will get a first wash 90U, which is like a true 90 to 119 technically. You know, it's just the 90 bag. And then everything else gets scooped into what we call our full spectrum. So that would be 40U up to basically 219, um, 180, something like that. Um, and then on the outdoor side, we do 90 to 149. So the 90 and the 120 U bag together from all of the washes. And then everything higher than the 150 and lower than the 90, we collect in what we usually label our, our food grade. Cause last season, you know, it was a, it was a bad outdoor year. So it was, not really pretty and not really stuff you would want to smoke on for the most part. But this season, almost everything we've pulled for people has been so has been nice. beautiful. It's been really nice. So, you know, we're just calling it mixed micron this season and it's not the premium spectrums, but it's really, really, really solid budget smoke for our homies who want to Ball support budget. us, but like, you know, can't be spending the premium dollars on the, the premium stuff. It's a nice, happy medium. What are your thoughts on and what are your observations that you can make on sun-grown resin versus indoor resin? Man, it's it's usually greasier, dude, and like I can say that pretty confidently. Like sun-grown, yeah, yeah. Like the 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 hash is harder to work with. The rosin usually comes out wetter. It is wet. Like I love my boys, and their indoor stuff is really nice. And the color the color might be a touch nicer on the indoor stuff and on the melt, you know, um, factor. Especially when you're looking at it under the scope, you know, your indoor stuff is going to have much less like, you know, dust and like visible contaminant, but. Yeah, more, more. There have been several times where we've pulled trays of outdoor stuff, and like I couldn't even see it because it was so greasy. Like, 
Oh, really, like that Dosido last year. Dosido last year. The Crazy. Sunset Sherb was pretty um, unstable, very greasy. Like, and um, this is still, like some little bit of free freeze dryer game, but you know, you're say you set your freeze dryer and you know your your cycle ends. We we let our freeze dryer trays hang out for at least an hour after that cycle ends because. The free cycle it goes into to hold is colder than the dry cycle it's finishing on. So if you let it go down to the colder temp, it's a little bit easier to work with. So like that sunset sherb, when I checked it like immediately after it finished drying, like it was basically like one sheet, you know, like you lift the parchment up and it just sort of like comes and goes as like one full. But then we let it sit for um I think we let that one go for two hours because I was scared. And um I managed to, to work with it and sort of break it up. But yeah, the outdoor stuff definitely comes out, has a higher resin content. It's louder. The terpene tests are coming out, you know, pretty impressively if you're into analytics. Like we take all that shit with a grain of salt. But but even just the nose on everything is like, no, it's it loud. bangs. It is Dude, really it's... loud from far away. Here, you want to you wanna put some of this up? Like this, this is all outdoor stuff that we're about to show. And like, color wise it's beautiful like these were grown by people who you know they really put time and effort into their outdoor season um but there's like nothing left in some of these jars we've been I we've been working we've been working with um one of our homies cold river cultivation basically since like the spring like as soon as he was getting his garden planned out he hit us up well he hit us up us he hit us up last year and he wanted us to process but he had dried his material and we we're like, sorry, we can't do that for you. But if you freeze all of your stuff next year, we'll do it all. So he yeah, like his his property that he grows on is it's off, off the grid, so he doesn't have electricity on it. So he the commitment a, on this guy, it's like so incredible. He takes a Jenny out to the field and he like harvests into freezers on a Jenny in the field. It's amazing. Yeah, and then he talked to his neighbors who were kind of next to. What about what about salt grown versus uh, you know biologically grown? indoor are you able to to have an opinion on the difference there yeah i think on average in our experience um between what we've washed up here and the stuff that i washed in rhode island that was salt grown very nice you know the color is really nice and oftentimes the melt might be even a little bit cleaner you know depending on what media you're you're growing in like if you're growing in like that rock wool shit or even like cocoa like there's like almost like no contaminant ever Whereas if you have soil and like biology, it's a little bit more likely to have specs. So melt wise, it might be a little bit cleaner, but I just don't, I don't, haven't seen juicy, juicy melt come out of salt grown stuff. Terp wise, it's never there for me either. Like yeah. it's not as, it never bangs as loud. I'm trying to think of like a lot, most of the stuff that we've grown that's been salt grown usually doesn't want to like batter up nicely. You know, it's like really dry and you're like struggling to like whip it up yeah you mentioned um jams and jar tech earlier and i know just from being close with you that mission hill doesn't apply any doesn't do any types of jams or jar techs um doesn't apply any type of heat what what is the decision what is the reasoning behind that decision yeah i just think that once you start to add a certain amount of heat you really lose a lot of the really nice really desirable terps 
Yeah. We, you know, especially when we were, you know, doing more, now people mostly drop off material to us, but especially when we were like picking up material and we'd have to do the dry ice hauls and the cooler shuffles and whatnot. Like, you know, you're spending all this time trying to be so delicate with this resin and keep it cold from time it was harvest and you don't want to crush it and you trying to wash it gently and you're freeze drying it at low temperatures and pressing it as you know low as we can while not like sacrificing yield and then it's like to go through all of that just to then put that shit in a fucking toaster oven it just kills me and as we said before from our personal experience you know nine and a half maybe nine out of ten things that you try to heat tech we won't enjoy as much as if it was i've had like two things ever that have been heat teched that have blown me away. Yeah, Mikey's, Mikey's Sunday driver literally got me fucked up. Literally, I have to, every time I talk shit on Jartech, I have to like put in a disclaimer that like MTS Farms is the exception to the rule, pretty much. Because that shit was fantastic. But I'm trying to think, what else What else besides Mikey's stuff have we there had? There was, I don't know if Tarp Wizard still does heat tech, but at one point, Tarp Wizard was doing heat tech and the fruit joy. gave us something. Did you guys oh yeah, the fruit toy jam. That's a, that the was good. It was definitely different though, and you could taste super different. It. it was not the same as the fruit toy. Like they taste like they they taste like very different things. So yeah. I, you know, you it changes the 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 tart profile. Yeah, for right sure. There. So um, I wanted to talk about we're seeing a rise in resin mixing and blending. Yeah. Is that something that you guys are actively doing? Yep, big time. So we do a lot of mix washing and a lot of it is out of necessity to meet batch sizes um, because of things like pheno hunts and stuff like that. But it's a lot of fun. Um, I think a lot of times because pretty much we're processing for people that we really like and that we're friends with. So it's really fun to sit down with our growers and be like, cool. I think that like this, this, and this pheno are going to wash really well together. And I think the turp profile is going to come out like this. So what's a cool thing we can call it? You know, it's like a fun brainstorming bonding experience between us and our growers, which I really, which I personally really enjoy. Yeah. Um, just like a lot of times it's like, we're, we're not doing mixed washes because we're like, oh shit, we're sitting on all of this like same material. How can we mix it together to have like eight strains instead of three we're like we're really doing it either because we want to help a grower meet a batch minimum for us um or just because sometimes we really like the the mixes some of our some of the best things we've put out have been mixed washes. oh god the tropical high shoes is so good that's yeah. a mixed wash and we're we're doing physical mixes we're, we're mixing fresh frozen in the bags together washing it we're not really i don't really like I just think it mixes better if you're doing it together instead of taking two finished product and mixing them. It's like cooking it's hard to ingredients to make love in the pot, you know? So yeah. mix them all together. Do you, do you feel like we're going to see a rise on the commercial side of the solventless industry in the next five years where more things are going to be blends and, and it's, it's going to grow in popularity? I think so because it's like that's the workaround to genetics, right? Like that's the that's the cheat pathway to genetics. Like you want to find 
you want to find a flavor profile that's like, I don't know, yeah. like super grapey, but has like root beer on the back end. You're, you know, you're going to have to hunt for like 17 years to find that plant. But if you do a mixed wash, like you can achieve that flavor profile, you know? So I think that that's something that's going to catch on a lot just because of ease in the journey to find the flavor, you know? Yeah. And then bigger companies are going to do it just because the the reason I said before, where they're going to have so much people sitting on material. So they have to be creative. Speaking on genetics, like how important are you, do you see genetics being over the next five years? I think that we've witnessed just due to the scarcity of uh, genetic varietals that work well and commercially in a solventless setting, we've seen like a lot of passing around happening in the last few years. And and now I think we're starting to see um, different farmers or single source makers kind of start to hold things a little tighter. Do you, do you, do you see that as a trend continuing or like, what are your thoughts on genetics in the industry? Well, you know, it really depends on like what you're trying to do. But a hundred short answer is yes. The long answer is depending on what you're doing, like, you know, all the Cali people, they're all big on like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to be selling my IP. Like I'm going to like, you know, just like, you know, like the RS 11 and the Doja packs type shit. Like they're just hoping to make a couple of hype in-house strains and just keep selling the rights to those off to big companies. I think for the hash makers though, I think that, having unique genetics is what's going to, you know, be your ability to grow is going to be the first thing. But if you have unique genetics, I think that will help um, I, tremendously. I think if that, you want variety. Yeah. If you want- I think that for people like us, for people who are kind of on the same somewhat scale as us or people of the same mindset, basically what is going to keep you alive is some variety of exclusivity. You know what I mean? So yeah. we're lucky that, you know what I mean? We, we're lucky. We have things like, for example, I brought up the Tropical High Chews. The Tropical High Chews is a mixed wash of, of stuff from our buddy Aloha. Yeah, it's a and it's a mixed wash. wash. Of, it's a four-strain wash of phenos that he selected out of packs that he pheno hunted. So someone can buy those packs and, like, try to make a Tropical High Chews, but they're not going to have the Tropical High Chews. Aloha has the Tropical High Chews, and nobody else has that. And you can't go to the other producers that are out in Maine and get the Tropical High Chews. You have to, you know, you have to get it from the people who made the Tropical High Chews. That's it. You know, it's the same thing. Like, the, it's just like the Fruit Joy. Like, that's right now. You want Fruit Joy? Canadian dabs. You got, you know, it's the same yeah, kind of thing. Don't get fooled. I know Fugazi Fruit Joy. There ain't no. It's only one. There can be only Proprietary. one. Tying, tying genetic to the brand. And growing brand the brand equity through the genetic notoriety, I think is what we're going to see a lot more of. I, I mean, you know, the way that Addison's doing it <coughs> is different, where he's providing access to a large group to optimize, uh, basically like a, a, a dying or suffering system, um, which I think is like a, a very different thing. Where he's going, okay, well, you don't have time to 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 search for your own thing, but I've done it. Yes. I have the nursery that's ready for you. And, you know, utilizing guys like Little Lake Valley to get genetics that are proven 
with washers into the hands of farmers and then connecting those farmers with processors. I mean, that's the, that, that's the goal. I think that once you evolve past that and you, you're, you're able to, you know, I think that you can even get to a point where you're cultivating a cut so differently and producing such a unique product that you differentiate yourself that way. Like, do you guys feel one way or another about naming phenotypes? Like, you know, you talked about the, 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 the starburst, or I'm sorry, I forgot the name. Yeah, the, uh, and, um, you know, how that's, that's, uh, Aloha's is, are you pro to naming phenotypes within within yeah. varietals? We're, Absolutely. As long I think as you give, as give long homage as you give to the person who created those genetics. You always give homage. You always give credit to the person who created those genetics. I think it's totally fair. You want to name a pheno that you hunted? I think that's totally fair. But that's your pheno of this pack that was created by this person because yeah. it is always important in our industry to respect people and put respect on people's name. Absolutely. Yeah, um, I feel like, and I feel like, especially for consumers, I would rather call something by what it smells and tastes like because that's, you know, if if I tell you something is straw guava, but it's fucking gassy, say, you know, who's, am I doing anybody any favors by not calling it closer to what it tastes like? Like, I want people to get what they think, you know, I want the strain name to be representative of what they're going to smoke on. What do you think about that, Addison? I mean, you know, the, everyone has their own job. The breeder has a job. They breed and create genetics. You know, people can grab those genetics. People can, you know, pop beans and look at, you know, different uh, versions of those genetics that are there. But it's really like there's work that goes into all of that. You know, like you were saying about California, like we're here in California it's a production rich place. Like we have a lot of production space and there's a lot of producers. So there's a need for pipeline because it's a service to the farm. Really. That's kind of, you help them sell their material. So it's, it's just the point there is that it's just different in every place. Yeah. You know? And, and it's like, that's why I love, you know, all these, you know, like, you know, ha having access to all the different people in different regions of the country, different things are a major focus in that area for that producer, you know? So it's, I don't know, it's just kind of like, uh, I think that when people uh, push themselves further in the direction of the stuff that they're really good at and less into all this other bullshit, it, it's better for everybody. Absolutely. I got a couple more technical questions for you mission before we move on. Um, I wanna know your thoughts on hash yields. You hear me ask this question a lot. Um, I know it's, I don't need to ask you if it's something you've put a lot of thought into. I know you're as hash and resin obsessed as I am. So, you know, talk to me a little bit about, you know, what you see in the, in the future of our industry and, and where you see maybe a normalization or, or better understanding of yields going. Yeah. It's like the hash yields are, are quickly becoming the new THC percentage, I feel like. Um, people people selling genetics with these numbers attached and it's, you know, I just think it's misleading all around. You know, like we had a homie who, our homie Colder from Cultivation, he, he, has, he bought us a watermelon Skittles cut. And he was, he told me that supposedly it was supposed to do, you know, 6% plus. 
And I told him, I'm like, you know, if we hit 6% on this, like, I'll be stoked. But I'm, I don't think it's going to hit that. I think you have four, maybe five, like on a, on a good day, but I don't see it hitting six. I've never had a watermelon Skittles do that crazy numbers, like no. personally. And it did well. It did. I think it did about four and change, four and a half almost. Yeah, which, like, that's just good. For, yeah, for it's great. term outdoor, it's especially six. like, you know, and that yielded like heavy in the premium bags too. Like it did really nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah, I just think, First of all, like, you know, we've talked about this, that like, you know, water hash yield doesn't tell the whole story. You know, it's that, you know, potential resin per square foot where how does the plant yield on the biomass side? And then how does it yield to water hash? And then, you know, how greasy is that water hashed and then yielding into rosin? Rosin. Like, um, and it's also like, too, it's just like. At the end of the day, like, you got to grow stuff that works well for you. If you've got a finicky-ass strain that's not, like, you know, getting in line with your regimen or it's not fitting in your schedule, like, don't don't grow it. Like, it's not going to do the numbers that people are telling you it's going to do because it's not, you know, in its happy environment. Like, some strains, some strains really like bottle feeds and salt. They don't do well in, like, you know, organics and soil. Like, you know, and at some point you've got to like, you know, know what you're growing and how it's going to do for you. Like, um, I'm trying to think like, what was it? Is it, I'm not sure if it's banana OG. We ran something for TJ for one of our friends back in the day. And it did like, okay. In water hash, like it did something like three, three and a half, but it yielded so heavy on the biomass side. Like, you know, it would almost triple the biomass of like, Oh, I remember that. Of, I can't remember what it is right now. I'm blanking out, but because it yields so heavy on the biomass side, like that three percent is irrelevant because it yields so much heavier per square foot than the other strains. So, um, I I hope that people start not worrying too much about that, or you know, start taking you know heavy yielding shit and crossing it with shit that yields terrible um trying to wash some stuff because we've we've also talked about you know we've been really on this big like smoking equatorial sativa rosin that doesn't yield for shit and it's like the worst sort of you know taste i could have developed because i just want to smoke that shit in the morning but it costs me like 120 bucks a gram produce like but if someone could, you know, work on those sort of crosses, I think that will be where people will, where you can start getting exotic things that usually don't yield well. If you can start outcrossing them to maybe become a little bit more viable. Do you see it in the genetics only, or do you see it in an evolution in solventless extraction technology? Like, do you think that there's no. going to be a lot of change over the next three to five years in? Uh, machinery or machinery design. I, think I don't think it's going to necessarily like revolutionize hash. I think it's one of those things where it'll, it'll be great for <coughs> suits and like huge companies who like want like commercial huge freeze dryers and stuff. But like it's one of those things where like, I don't think it's going to make the hash any better. I think it's mostly in the genetics, you know, like 
we wash some stuff and some stuff just doesn't come out well in water hash. And I don't think, I don't think if my water was any colder, you know, or any other, like, I don't think there was like anything we could do differently that would make that come out better. Mm-hmm. Unless it was work genetically, like, you know. Do you see like an ability or a future in the, I know some people working on the commercialization of dry, of dry sifting. Like, what are your thoughts there? I, I, I've never personally been super impressed with dry sift. I feel like dry sift to people is kind of like how, um, like the high cannabinoid solventless thing was to me. Like I was really trying to make beautiful, super high testing solventless diamonds. And it took a lot of effort and the yields, you know, sometimes would hurt. And at the end of the day, it's really not like a great product. You're really just doing it for the sake of the like, it's almost like you're doing it for the sake of making it. You want to, it's a challenge. Like can, how, how well can I clean up these heads? You know, how, how pure can I make? And I'm, I'm actually going to, I'll put a, a picture, but like we got, we made really nice solventless THCA and then it just got to a point where I'm like, all right, this is, this is dumb. Like it costs so much money for me to produce and like, you know, especially the solventless THC tastes like nothing. Like dry sift is a little bit nicer, but I've never found the melt factor to be there on 99% heads, which is tough. Like, you know, and like the Cuban sift was very expensive when I lived in, in LA. Like it was like 160 to 185 a gram, depending on which like bougie dispensary you went to. And even at the the purest ninety nine point nine percent heads, you know, it's still really dabbed, like a five, maybe five and a half star water hash. You know, like I would rather have the juicy, fresh, frozen with a little bit of char than the really nicely separated <laughs> dry sift. And yeah, I don't know. I, hey, no, 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 no. I think, you know, after we went to Canada and sort of saw your market where there's lots of people who are real hyped on the traditional ash still, I think, I think that maybe, maybe for those sort of markets, sort of the larger industrial and, but I think for our connoisseur homies, like, I don't think us three, like, we're not really ever smoking too much traditional, traditional hash, unless it's sort of like a special occasion or a celebration thing i was out of my element when we were smoking traditional hash bro that shit's narcotic bro it gets you and i smoke a lot you're taking i was like you're taking a nap you need need espresso yeah dude Dude, i was tired we weren't ready for that it puts you down it's really crazy it's super sensitive it's batty yeah i want to switch gears a little bit and move out of the washroom and talk about marketing and branding because I think it's very important. Um, Adam actually attended Melting of the Heads, the first Melting of the Heads. Hannah was supposed to um, be attending and, and was helping with her mother. Um, but uh, but Adam gave a talk on on marketing and, and I thought it was, it was really well done. And um, you have been able to leverage social media better than others uh to gain notoriety for your brand and portray a much you know larger image um than you know potentially was reality behind the scenes and i just want to like talk a little bit about that and understand you know was it early on that you you 
understood you had that power through social media or was it did it take some time to to learn and leverage those skills it definitely took some time when i first started it was really just like i was excited to post it also this was like when instagram was friendly and you could just post hash all the time so it was mostly like young me being excited and just wanting to post what i was working on and then um it's like i just like when I, when I first started smoking concentrate, you know, I would smoke this shit and I was always like, who's making this? Like, where, like, you know, like, where's this coming from? Like, it's just like, there's just sort of a brand or an envelope or something. And that was always sort of it. You never sort of got like any idea of the people usually. And that would obviously made sense because it was not as legal as it is today. But so it's like, this is magic. I must know more. Yeah. So I think for the first couple years, until you know more recently obviously like that was the big thing was that like you know i didn't really i would post things but you know not like a ton of stuff i never really posted like our face and like it was just really hard to find our shit like that was the real thing at first it was just you you really couldn't find our stuff like unless you knew me like you know and like if you if you go on reddit (laughs) and like search our name like you'll find reddit threads of people on like boston trees like complaining about like not being able to find us and like us not responding to our dms and it was just because like i was that's like you know i was just like making enough for me and the homies pretty much and i didn't like i wasn't really even using it as sales it was just like and that's the best like people always want what they can't have you know for the most part so like we were really really small bash and we just didn't have that much dude people would always hit us up for wholesale and i'm like like I don't have wholesale. Like some of the stuff we wash, like we don't even have like multiple ounces of like, and it's a lot of work. I'm like, I'd rather break it down at that point. So, you know, keeping that mystique, I think was really important, you know, for the first couple of years, like we would be very like, you wouldn't really see us post too much. We'd selectively post like, you know, action shots of work and, you know, like wash water and see like, the occasional rosin picture but merch drops merch drops yeah and then we sort of like and yeah, then you, it was sort of like, you were early adopters to the merch i thought you did you did that earlier than most pretty much as soon as we got the logo like um like revitalized you know because i made the original logo in powerpoint so do you a, have it let's see i think i might actually i've got one of the early ones yeah, this is one of the early ones. And actually, this one I think is okay. This one's looking a little more symmetrical. This might not be the 100% OG one, but this is like one of the original ones that we made up. But yeah, no, I got hoodies pretty much off the rip because I knew that I always wanted to have... Um, a, I wanted to represent myself and I had a bunch of homies and I knew that like, you know, that's like the best marketing is you just have people wear your stuff. And, um, you know, in terms of our like the, the logo like i i really just got lucky it's like i i made that pretty quickly all things considered i didn't like it wasn't like i sat down for days and had like you know like think groups it was yeah really because like, what is your logo yes what is the logo the logo is the beautiful um seed of life and then there's a jewish star subliminally put right in there so <laughs> you know i am i am culturally jewish like not really religious whatsoever yeah <laughs> so um threw that in there with the you know seed of life because like you know we're more like spiritual and we like we like psychedelics in the universe and like you know <laughs> it's it's sort of more of what we we're about and connectedness so 
just worked out. And I always knew that we always wanted to end up with our products in jars. So I wanted to make something that would look nice on jar tops. That was what we were always thinking. And then, yeah. And then it just became like something cool that we could spend some extra time on. Like, um, I like streetwear and stuff. You know, I used to collect like Supreme stuff and I always liked their, I always thought their accessories were the coolest shit. Just putting, wall just putting Supreme logos on random dumb <laughs> shit and people being like, that's sweet. I need to own that. I'm like, that is awesome. Like, that power in a brand to be able to, like, you know, like, they they put their logo on, like, a hatchet or a step stool or an oar. And people are like, this is sick. Like, Ziploc so, bags, cough drops, earplugs. It's crazy. So, you know, we always try to make cool, kind of different merch, and we always try to make fun accessories that were always, you know, hash adjacent that people could could fuck with. Like, you know, we did a collab with a company called Turk Cooler back in the day. They, like, do, like, small insulated locking pouches that you can travel. They have little ice packs that fit nicely in them. They have a little jar that comes with it that you can fill ISO yep. with. Like, yep. it's... Nice. It's so, you nice know, we to did, put your tar- You can fit like six gram jars in there or something like that. We're just trying to like find stuff that we like and we use and then see if there's any way that we can, you know, co-brand. And, um, you know, um, Alchemy Jar is a great example. You know, that's like, I saw that come out. And I saw them teasing that and I was like, I love this. I think this is a fucking cool thing that people have been asking for in some way shape or form. We bought a jar. I stress tested it. We bought a jar in the middle of summer. I filled it with hash i took it to i filled it with rosin i took it to philly it was like 98 degrees in philly and i left it in my car and my car is was black on black so i like left it in a fucking oven for like five days and then i came home and i opened it up and it was like the same as it was when i left minimal discoloration it was still super wet it still dabbed really nicely i was like this is dope and then literally two days later we hit him up and we put an order in yeah so we're trying to put out stuff that like we like and we're using you know trying to stay relevant like up to date on stuff too and like planning stuff out is kind of tough but like you know, like you see something like that, and I feel like it's kind of important to be one of the first people to do it, especially like regionally, because it's one of those things where it's really cool and you want one, but it's like grabbing more than one is kind of like unnecessary. You know, a little they're, bit. They're they're on the bigger side too, you know, so it's got to be like a big head stash thing. So yeah, absolutely. Sort of your market too is important. I think we do a good job with sort of like tapping into our like area and our you know who like who's buying our stuff where where exactly are we like what are some cool like culturally local things going on that we can tie in you guys run a very active discord group as well right yeah yeah Yeah. and that's sort of that's another thing you know that was out of necessity because you know instagram is not friendly and it bums me out honestly dude like i really do like wish i could just share stuff Cause like I don't even bother taking pictures a lot of times of stuff because I can't post it and like you know we made the Discord almost as like a backup. Sort we of have like a, a super active Discord. We have seven hundred and thirty three people in our Discord. Wow, yeah, it's a lot. It's pretty lit. And it's we, pretty fun. 
I love the Discord, honestly. Yeah, it's there's a, a lot. lot. There's a lot of tech that gets shared. It's it's really open it's source. You guys do a good job, it's, kind of moderating yeah. it. We have a pet flex zone, so if you're sad, there's a whole place you can go to look at cute pictures of animals. I was for the people. We were in Discords before <laughs> we decided to make our own, so it was kind of nice to. First of all, you really just gotta get used to the app because it it doesn't flow like any other social media app just the way it, it's 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 there a, is a feed that you get to it's but a there's unique a lot of like layout, subdivisions you have you know? to get you have to very much adapt to that kind of layout and you have to know how to set it up properly because when you first start your discord it's a channel and that's it yeah you it really is nice in the sense that it is a very blank canvas for you to do whatever you want and you know, I we watched a 20 minute YouTube video on how to sort of build like a a medium nice Discord channel where you have sort of like, you know, like how do roles work and how you can have like, you know, bots do certain verification tasks for you. So um, our big things where we wanted to be visually appealing. Our biggest complaint with other discords we were in was that there's too much too much going on. And I feel like, you know, if you have all of these sub channels and all these different things and like people just get lost and then lose interest and they don't ever. So we wanted to be fairly simple, fairly user friendly. So, you know, we have a main feed, which is where most of the people talk. Then we have like a gallery feed where it's just us posting product pictures. We got a few other, like, you know, like a grow room, which is like all the grow people and patients exclusive. So like if you send us your patient information we can add you to that and you can see like updated menus and things like that so that way it's easy for you to it's really see what's cool going on, it's really in cool. order it's cool because you can set different channels to be like us our roles are the only roles that are able to post so we can that gallery it's just us able to yeah. post you know so it's it's nice you can keep things nice and organized it's basically trying to like recreate so that gallery basically is trying to recreate some semblance of like an Instagram feed yeah. where you can have just like your own pictures. pictures, you know, like a stream of pictures. So. Yeah. I think you guys have done a really good job. I, I definitely like, I understand that was the best way for me to get into discord. Cause I had discord prior to joining yours, but I couldn't really grip into it. And then the simplicity and, and, just workability that just following one general chat and being able to kind of stay up to date is cool. And the amount of information in there is, is ridiculous. Um, so I think you've done a really good job building your brand through, you know, sourcing good clothing and working with, uh, you know, good providers, all the gear that I've ever gotten from you is, you know, always very high quality. So I really enjoy it. And, uh, we're always trying to just like, you know, quality is like always the most important. Yeah. And that is like, sometimes it's tough because like, you know, our shit usually isn't cheap and it sometimes it takes us a while to find like the exact sort of like the exact type of hoodie or the exact t-shirt that we want. Like, you know, we take a lot of thought into that. For sure. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about um, Legends of Hash. You are an invitee and participant this year. Um, I know you were very involved in the planning and execution of coffee and donuts last summer um, with the Hashishin. And you are co-hosting Melting of the Heads with me in New York in January. Like, How important do you think these events are? We're starting to see a rise. Um, 
in solventless focused events and, and cannabis events in general. Like, what are your what are your thoughts post Corona uh, on this this trend that we're seeing? It's the future. I I love it. I'm a naturally social person by nature. Um, that that was like always my my mom's complaint is that I was like like overly social. Um, so I love it, and I feel like there's only so much connection you can make through a screen. And I'm I don't want to discount that because there is so much value and connections that you make online. You know, yeah. Jay, we met Jameson on online. You know, we met Jameson through the internet, but you have FaceTime in real life with these people and you have real life experiences with these people. And that's like really important. And that stuff really helps build relationships. And there's only so much networking and there's only so much relationship building you can do behind the screen. Um, and it's also really cool because I, oh, this industry, obviously a lot of people have been really quiet for a really long time because it's not something that you can be super loud about you know obviously we have friends like canadian dabs for example who like he doesn't show his he's not posting pictures of his face or his personal life or anything identifying at any point in time um and so you know the only time you're going to be able to see what canadian dabs looks like is if you show up to events like legends of hash or melting of the heads like these events are really really important to be able to network with people that you otherwise just would not have the opportunity to network with it's super important and it's just so much fucking fun people who like drink alcohol get to hang out in these like huge super well-designed places and partake in the substance that they enjoy yeah, together in a social everything. gathering like you can do that wherever you want and we as people can't like sit down and take dabs with the people that we love like in a public place it's fucked up it's stupid like i want to go to events and i want to go to places where i can sit down and be like look at this fire i was like making faces earlier because i took a dab that slapped me in the fucking face like I want to pass this jar to both of you. You know, I want to be in a room with you guys so I can like pass this jar to people. It's not something you can do through a screen. The events are the future. Yeah. Especially as like a brand too. Like we've always been active in events. Like in our early days, we would go to like the and we the threw events, and then we started throwing events in our later years. Like, but. Yeah, as a brand, like throwing your own events so you can just connect with your like customer base is super worthwhile. Even if you don't make any money on the event itself, you know, like the the block party that we threw a few years back, like I broke even and made like maybe a hundred dollars, you know. But I just wanted to make sure that we threw a fucking dope ass event. And the event was a the pool party of your dreams where you could smoke as much hash as you wanted. We roasted a whole pig. We had a DJ. There was lawn games. Like it was fun as shit. And there was just, we weren't selling anything. We had open jars on the fucking dab table. You could help yourself too. And we were just trying to like provide a cool environment. And it was cool that like, you know, you, the homies could come out and meet us and talk to us. And it's nice meeting a brand, you know, it's we gotta be. Sorry, yeah, go ahead. It's, I said it's got to be a trip, you know, coming up, w watching Bubble Man's videos, being, you know, somebody who primarily learned online 
from 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 cruising through the internet to be able to now be attending you know an attendee at legends of hash like i think that you know is that something that's kind of i guess oh, it's all it's all crazy i mean like you know i'm it's did you, you know, getting wild. here like did you in your wildest dreams did you when you started no, this if you told me who is smoking gravity bongs in the woods that like <laughs> hey like one day you're gonna be one of these people who people like buy your shit and are hyped and like make like review videos or like you know like like it was crazy like we've had people come up to us at events and be like oh like you're the reason like we got into like hash making or like you were the first time we smoked like solvent and stuff it's like that that's crazy. crazy that shit will never get old like don't ever not tell people shit like that because it's like no it's really incredible like we you know we're lucky enough to go to ego clash last year and like yeah. adam had been before obviously last year was my first year but it's crazy like even though adam had been before you walk up and you're just like wow this is nutty you like yeah. look around the room and you're like this is fucking nutty like i <laughs> used to make medicated cupcakes and ride the elevator in my apartment building and sell them to people and if you had told that kid that i'd be doing stuff like that i would like laugh in your face i was not the cool kid i've never i've never in my life like been the cool kid at the party i've never been the cool kid at the table so if you like ever told me that someone was gonna come up to me and be like oh yeah i like know you from such and such and i watched you doing so and so like and it's crazy and then it goes both ways too though because then like we get to go to these events and i get you know we get to meet the people who we like who got us into hash making you know like when we were at ego clash we were sitting across from um full flavor extracts who was like one of those dudes whose hash i bought in la in 2015 i still remember it and like being able to like talk to like Brandon like from third gen just like talk to him like is like so crazy to me because like you, you know he's the man like it's he's the undisputed hash champion of the world that man won so many emerald cups and fucking it was his run was fucking crazy like I remember seeing him at the last secret cup finals when he was beating BHO boys with water hash, like that is crazy. I don't think people understand like in the time where people really fucking shat on solventless, like solventless was a second class citizen in the concentrate game until the freeze dryers really came around. And Brandon was out there fucking micro crazy shit. Yeah. Leg lifting, bro. <laughs> that, 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 that's very cool. I think that uh, I, I I mean he definitely carved out a, a a name for himself before retiring. Like I, I I don't think anybody's come that close in as far as winning winning in competitions. I think it would be hard to replicate just because like the the competitions are are different now, and I think that you actually need to be a large corporate entity to win. Such a fucking jump on people, you know. Like he was making he was you know he was really breeding stuff for hatch making in a time where that wasn't like a thing to do like you know a lot of the stuff he won on was his own genetics but it's yeah. also such a crazy flex but like yeah no we're we're stoked to be here like i don't i don't think we take that for granted by any means like we're always like no it's like crazy to be in a room with these people jameson knows that i'm like a weird t Beasel fangirl and i have been for a really long time so like the fact that we you know get to call someone like taylor a friend is 
Yeah, like crazy to me. It's, you know, like you Kaya, know, like Kaya's Kaya, got our phone number. We've talked to him sometimes. That's wild. It's like, it's such a trip. It's, it's it's crazy. No, it's definitely it's definitely crazy. It, I never, I, I it's never not crazy. It's always crazy. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know uh, I'm super excited for Legends. I, it's going to be yeah, my first time. I'm I'm very excited to see everything. I know Addison's been working really hard on it. So, it, the 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 two day concept, like the idea to pack all that energy into a room for one evening, and then it's like I can't believe that you were able to pull it off, like and get all that done. Like it's it's really cool that you spread it out into two days now, Addy. You can't. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Like you just you can't. So yeah. like to satisfy to really set to get all those makers in one room and then to satisfy the their <laughs> desire to judge one another to to like see the stuff that's in front of them and try it and have an opinion on what they're trying, you have to add the judging component. And if you do that, and you're gonna have a, a healthy amount of makers to make it matter, then you have to cap it at some point. And when you do that, you can only judge and, and be able to do this with so many and so much time. So what really, what really added the second day was just the judging. We said, all right, well, let's, you know, we can give them 20 hours to judge it. If we add a brunch or something, we we're going to add another dinner. And then it's like, ah, it's kind of, you know, that's like a full two day commitment in a sense. So we were like, all right, let's try to keep it, you know, in line. And then the second thing that came out of it, the after effect was that we were only able to invite 15 new makers to come for, you know, this year, because we wanted to invite back all the makers from last year so they could get judged and judge one another and actually have a full experience. Um, so the second day allowed us to, you know, the makers that weren't able to make it on the list, we say, hey, we do have brunch tickets. And so now we can have a lot of makers in the room with us. Um, that can see what the experience is about, enjoy the award ceremony, you know, have the prime rib brunch and enjoy it and the open hash bar and get to try all the entries and be there with everybody. Um, but, you know, not have to worry about competing. But then the second day, you know, the second day is much more expense in the production costs because it's a much larger, uh, you know, serving to a lot more people. You have like 250 people. And then with all the staff and all the sponsors, it's about 300 people. So you have to serve food to 300 people and all these different things, which is much more expense, the production for the award ceremony, um, different things like that, that kind of add to it. But uh, it's just, you know, the whole thing, Le Legends was really about just the hash and just everyone getting together and there was no promotion at all. But then once you take that away, you can monetize it. You can figure out how to make it bigger and, and bring more people in and kind of open it up in different ways, but keep it, in line with sort of what it's all about and that's the hash um so that's why there's certain little things that you'll see in there that are just sort of you know dialed or perfected so that it does keep the focus on the hash um, but it's you know it should be fun you know the outside of the event the outside area is more of like a trade show feel you know so you can come outside and have that outside kind of experience the toro lounge is going to be outside uh you know 710 will be there um i think with with hash and stuff like that too in the toro lounge so it's it's just kind of a cool uh you know setup that'll be outside with that kind of feel and then inside it's more of the like you know find a seat put your stuff there kind of make it your home 
everyone's kind of seated in these large, um, you know, farm tables. So it's much more stable, sturdy, your shit's all safe. And then you kind of walk around and kind of do your thing, which is cool. So. And then what's the plan with moving forward? You know, is it, is it always going to be in LA or what are your, what are your plans there with, with the dinners? I think, it, I think what we're thinking is two a year and then having it alternate between the East and the West. Um, uh, but then always have the LA one. Okay. So have the LA one and then one year do the East, you know, do a, a New England and then do LA and then do, you know, Pacific Northwest and then keep kind of going back and forth. But Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Um, Cause you can only do two, you can only do two a year. Yeah. Cause it takes about six months to get all of the planning and all the stuff done because you have to no it is not yeah the way that you the way that you do it it does take it takes about six months pretty much if you want to do it correctly and you want it to be like in line with the artists that you're working with and in line with your production and in line with everything that you want to do um because you only you know it's only one night and then one brunch so for us it's like you know okay that's we know how much work that takes you know what that takes and what it's going to be um you know, and then making it so that it's a good experience from, for everybody from, you know, the maker all the way to their guests, all the way to the, the two day guests, to the, the sponsors, to the media, you want everyone to have like a really good time. So it's like, you know, now we're moving on to uh, all the stuff for the gift bags, which is kind of like, has its own sort of focus. Um, but every time you do it too, you figure out better ways to do it, to produce it. To kind of make it so that it's like oh oh if i fucking do this then you know i don't have to worry about this stuff so next year everything will be on the on the website we'll push more energy towards the e-commerce stuff and all the, everything will be on the website so then it's like oh you've been you get an email you've been selected oh you go you know and if you don't go and search through you know go through that link and put your shit in well you don't have a ticket you know i don't have to chase somebody it's like that's just how it works. I'll see if the person did it. So that's how I know the list. So it's like, there's all these things. Cause we could just send a code and the person can own, it's a one-time code. They use that, they get in, it authenticates, you know, then we have their information for the Kepler wallets for the NFT. We have everything we need. Um, and then it's kind of, you know, this year's one of the coolest things is like building this uh, web three judging platform. And then kind of watching the progress on that and seeing how that's working. And it's pretty cool because it's all, you know, after the event, uh, if anyone has any gripes or issue with the judging, you can take it and publish everything and say, hey, here's all the judging that you know, this is how this one and this is how that one. Um, oh, that's so right. kind of cool. That's super cool. Yeah. I think that transparency is like super important. Yeah, it's dope. And it's like it, the fact that the makers are the judges also takes away, you know, a whole bunch of shenanigans and bullshit. You know, there's never going to be like a a bunch of makers are going to get together and cheat for one maker. It's like, no, it doesn't work like that. You know, it's always going to be honest in that sense. So yeah, there's some cool stuff and that's, that's a nod to ego clash. Cause that's something that they've always done. So there's, there's different things that we've kind of come out with that were out of feedback from, you know, things that we didn't have last year, but there's, you know, nods in different directions to different events that we've been to, you know, things that work. Um, but no, I'm super excited, man. I'm I'm honored to be able to be a feeder event for you know the next moth. The winners of that moth are get invited to the next legends, and I think that having these 
tiered events that you know we can have a lot of and everybody can throw different events with different styles and they can kind of fall into you know regional versus uh you know statewide and 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 we can really develop a system where it's friendly competition where it's not oh that person is better than that person it was that person was better than that person on that day it was like you know it's any given any given day and you know what crops and what what plants you have access to i think those things are really important too like different levels of events because i mean a lot of us are are some of us are more fortunate than others you know what i mean some of us can afford to do like a a long schlep in in california and go to like multiple events but some of us can only afford to do like a one-day event And, and i think it's really important that people are not excluded i think that it's really important for inclusivity i think it's really important to throw events that everyone can attend and that there are lower barriers to entry because Uh, something that we need to acknowledge as all of us event throwers is that, you know, a lot of times there are barriers to entry. So having Mm -hmm. like different levels of events is really important. So people, you know, can can advance through the culture. You never know, like someone who enters a very low. That was me, you know, like when I was in LA, dude, like, and I was trying to go to these things, like I was like scraping money together to just, just to go like, you know, meet people making stuff and try to try new things and see like what was good. You know, it's, so it gives people an opportunity to to kind of evolve and, and grow. So I think it's really important. It's cool. Yeah, that's what we're stoked. We're stoked about the brunch because then you can have people that really, you know, the the two day ticket is definitely more expensive at Legends. It is two days. It's all catered food. It's a bunch of stuff like that. But you know, the the having two different options, a one day and a two day, makes a big difference. I think because yeah, yeah absolutely. Sure. It's, nice. it's nice having the options. It's nice to have options. Yep. So I mean, I, yeah, but I mean, Legends is 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 invite only. Yeah. It's, like, it's cool to have things for people to aspire to, yeah. you know. Like people are people are looking at that and they're like, "Fuck, I want to get there someday." The, it, my only feasible way to get there is if I start oh, here yeah. and then I try to go to Moth and I enter the competition at Moth and then maybe mm-hmm. I win at Moth. You know, it's like a cool ladder That's to the top. Yeah, you know what? I actually, I I think. Um, to answer your question from before about the judge about the actual makers like our the list is done i mean we could talk about the list but and i was just thinking that i i think it's uh q and uh pacific northwest roots and uh mission hill melts yeah that's like legends has like uh, a couple people from uh melting in the heads yeah yeah that's very cool so i mean you know you don't have to the first place guarantees you but even if you meddle at these things you're you're being scouted and i think that that's that's where um where it's gonna go like i think that you know you have a lot of different tiers of competition so that the ones that are invite only don't necessarily get criticized because there's a number of different ways to get in it's like hey you can't criticize me if there's all these different ways you know if you're hungry enough to to kind of get invite get your ticket to come in so i think that seeing more competitions in different states at different levels um is just like something i'm super stoked to promote in any way i can um i wanted to ask uh mission hill you know the market is in the market in general in north america canada california washington colorado is in a, a tough position um, you know, worse than it's arguably ever been. 
I'd say not even arguably. Um, what do you, what are your thoughts on where what's going to happen over the next three years? Like, do you do you feel as though it's going to get worse before it gets better, or do you feel as though we're we're pretty much at bottom and things are about to start improving? I think I think the bottom might have been last season. Because I don't know about California. For us, at it's least. Been, it's been, like, uncharacteristically busy, not on just the processing end, which obviously we're busy because it's the season. But, like, the sales on, end. on the sales end, like, we've had lots of people hitting us up. Our growers, you know, everyone we work with is small batch and pretty much mainly deals with direct-to-patients unless they have their own sort of storefront. And our, our small batch, you know, growers have been telling us that they've been getting hit up by tons of storefronts wanting to carry product which like is uncharacteristic because this time last season you would have to try to go grovel with storefronts for them to even put your product on the shelves and so, they'd want to like spit you spit on you and then be like that's your payment yeah they, they really, like they don't really want to give you any money for it season, which, which rubbed everybody the wrong way um, yeah so i think a lot of people quietly bowed out at least in our area there have it been feels a lot like of people... it. I just don't see the variety. I just don't see as much stuff coming out right well, now. Well, people, like, people blew up, right, when the economy was, like, really nice and people were getting all of these, like, funny money checks and shit like that. And people took advantage of that situation and a lot of people expanded. And then the market kind of crashed. And so people have been slowly just shutting rooms off because it's yeah. just not feasible i think it's also like they keep running them i think it's also like how well like people have been able to adapt like you know, i think a lot of people especially in the weed game like have a ton of pride and like you know people have been getting like you know 3200 a pound for their whole life when shit gets really low and you gotta make some price cuts if you want to sell some stuff and they don't want to do that it's like you know it's tough like you gotta you gotta have you have to at some point be able to like work with the market like you gotta realize that hundred dollar grams aren't sustainable you know like sometimes they are but like you know you if you think you're going to be selling hundred dollar grams your, your whole life like, you're not selling a hundred dollar gram of gmo that's for sure yeah. you have to have something really fucking special if you're planning on tar- charging a hundred dollars for it in this market so that's so, kind of situation i mean dive into that like what advice do you have for individuals who are following in your footsteps, either in the medical or legacy spaces, in their perspective, states or markets, trying to build their, you know, build their brands, you know, what what advice do you have for them right now? If you're trying to do it to put food on your table, then at some point, you've got to treat it like a business. And that means trying to separate, you know, emotions and like, you know, do whatever is best for the business, which is not always the easiest thing to do. Um, I think for us, it was really just like, we have sort of like our values and like our goals and like, you know, we really try to, everything we do, we try to do that with those in mind. You know, we're always, it's quality is always our top priority, you know, like keeping the batch sizes small, like you'll never see us drop in tons and tons and tons of like one thing, you know, like we're, we're starting to label like how big our batch sizes are because you know i think people like to see that especially when people like some people don't realize like how small like a batch is like you know most of the stuff that we've run like um has been like you know anywhere between like 
40 to 100 something grams like a lot of the things are like this this is jumanji breath by our buddy aloha apothecary and this is one of 95 grams yeah so, so there's not a lot it's not a lot of it what what other advice do we have for i mean it's, it's a tough time like it's tough exclusivity is really important yeah i would say trying to build a good network you know um as a new brand like find find a good you know supply chain like find a good like find some people to work with and like you know it might be tough in the beginning but like you know if i were to start right now i i would probably the first run of stuff that we would do i probably wouldn't even like end up selling i'd probably end up sending like really nice curated packages to like big hitters in the industry and like hope that you just like you know I like think it. that's like, you yeah. know, you gotta think of that as like an investment in marketing and not you just like giving away a bunch of products, you know, like, cause I feel like that's what will turn heads. Like if you, if you come out swinging and you send them a nice curated thing and they're like, damn, who the fuck is this? Like, yeah, but, um, just like, you know, do the, do the work. It sucks. It's not making hashes is easy. It's not like, you know, it's cold, it's wet. Things are heavy. Like do you- things are tricky. Things go wrong. <clears throat> Do you think that there's a place for people in the industry that don't have a relationship with the plant? I mean, yeah, because I think in any industry, like you don't necessarily need to enjoy it to like, you know, like contribute. Like, does my accountant need to smoke hash to like be a good like hash accountant? Like, not really, but um, But I I do, I do, I do think it's hard. Like. You know, like, how can someone who doesn't partake in what I make love it as much as I do? Like, I find that hard to. It's really tough. I think they could probably make better objective decisions than I can, but I don't think they love the fucking. Because I mean, at the end of the day, we make hash because we love hash and we smoke too much of it to ever purchase it ourselves. So (laughs) we've got to keep making it if we want to stay on top of it. Absolutely. I think that's a that's a great answer. I want to I want to like switch gears a little bit and move towards a few like final final rapid fire questions. Um, you see a lot of material, so five most impressive cultivars that have come through your wash bin in the last, you know, three to five months. Strawberry cannoli. Three from to five Aloha. months. Yeah, I gotta I gotta think all the way back. It's strawberry cannoli, the macadamia cake, which was a mixed pheno wash of tea. And, stuff. and shout the farmers out as you uh yeah. shout, shout, shout out, out to Aloha, Aloha Apothecary. We love fam. him. He crushes it. Every single round of material from him is fucking fire. It's beautiful. It's crazy on the turps. He just he crushes it. He's the kind of person where if you give him if you give him advice on like, I really think this is going, this kind of genetics are really going to yield for hash. He'll take that advice to heart. He will purchase those genetics. He bought a ton of teas gear, hunted through a bunch of it. So like that macadamia, the macadamia cake was like a mixed it was a peanut butter of, cream pie mixed with the gas. Gassy feet. No, no, uh, no. I don't even remember. It was fantastic. John Stockton. Yes. Um, yeah. What else have we watched um, that's been spectacular? I'm trying to, the real question is what have we watched that we then smoked the majority of? Um, shout out to our homie Brian, who is going through a rebranding right now, so he doesn't have a company, but 
that's the old home the old ed homie from uh who's in vermont these days uh but he's still doing some good work dude his sour diesel if if you and ever his, get it and his, his GMO from from us that means we love you because i'm smoking that shit it doesn't see we don't tell that to people we smoke it all it get we process it and we put it in a jar and then we put some of it in our deep freezer for like a magical day when we remember that it's there or stumble across it and then we smoke the rest of it gosh i'm trying to think six months is a hard timeline because we watched so much material in that um, more recently though um our man cold river cultivation has grown um some excellent excellent outdoors oh the guava icy is guava crazy. icy is super unique it's very much like a super refreshing like um i don't even know it's, it's guava terps but it's like i don't know it really i get like vibe. it's it's like uh guava terps but i get movie theater slushy yeah yeah exactly if that makes any sense the watermelon skittles that i mentioned earlier too that yielded pretty nicely for outdoor super super sandy heads which i was surprised at um yeah man anything that aloha grows it just is fucking crazy and it's really really good hey all the dogs so so what uh adam what's one or hana um what's one like tool that is super underrated that you use every day in your lab I mean, shit, the tool that, like, besides the hashtag, which is, like, the, the machine, but it specific, like, smaller scale, we paid good money for a nice um, shallow well jet pump for as our water sprayer motor. Um, before we were doing, before that, if you can believe it, we were doing the fucking hand pump sprayers, which was a nightmare. Um, and then we spent... Um, we got kind of like shitty pumps, and then we got a really nice. I think it's a half half horsepower. Um, it's a Lanchez brand, but holy shit, that thing moves water. And like, you know, anyone who makes hash knows that foam is usually like a really annoying thing that you deal with eventually when you're washing. And trying to like spray that foam down can be really difficult. When you got that high pressure and the fucking flat setting, dude, that foam just is no problem. So that thing has made our life easy, and that's pretty affordable to most people, unlike the hashtag, which is like the cost of a new car. So <laughs> my general advice is just mise en place. Like it's so important to get your shit together before you start so that you're not scrambling afterwards. Yeah. And that's like I dude, I'm on Reddit sometimes and I you know, when I'm feeling bad about myself, I'll go to our bubble hash to just like remind myself that we're doing okay, you know? Because people just like start making hash with no plan. And it just blows my mind. <laughs> it just you throw material in water and then you're like, oh shit, like, all right, well. Now, now what? Uh, how am I gonna, people, are, people have wet hash and they're like, how do I dry this? And it's like, bro, you didn't, you didn't do the research before you started going, but. Even on like a small scale, dude, like spending a little bit of extra time just to set yourself up. So like I'm not washing today, but I'm going to do some cold room feng shui tonight. I'm going to do a deep clean. I'm going to clean all of our freeze dryer trays. I'm going to line everything with parchment. Like staying on top of your stuff is, is so much more, it's so much easier than trying to let a bunch of shit pile up and then 
do it after. Like, definitely stay ahead of your shit. If you had to pick just one, Adam, what would be, uh, you know, your proudest cannabis achievement in the last, you know, in, in the last five to seven years? Proudest? You know what? It's it's between two. It, I think the first one that I, I, I thought of originally that we talked about earlier was when uh, we won – we won a local competition. We came in first and second place at the Commonwealth Cup. And the, the what we won first place with was our single source sour diesel that came from our our no-till garden. So that was nice because that was like we had we were def, we were defending champions. So I really wanted to win. And then to you know come back to back was like and to win on the single source yeah it was a real drake moment right there so that was that was you know i was floating then but then getting the first invite to ego clash was i was i forgot like how hyped i was because i was hoping that we'd get the invite and then i saw other people flexing that they got invited and i remember i was like home for the holidays i think or home for thanksgiving or something And I was pretty much resigned, like, all right, like, you know, I'm just going to grind hard. We're going to make tons of fire hash and like, we'll get an invite next year. And I was literally in my buddy's basement, just like drinking beer or something. And I saw the banner where it was like third gen family has sent you a message. And I'm like, no, could it be? And it, I'm like, it was funny because none of my friends like could really understand how exciting that was, but I was literally like yelling. That's those are those are two yeah. those are two really good. Uh, they weren't too like far behind each other too though, because the first one was nice because that's like getting recognized like locally, and then getting invited to the Ego Clash in 2019 was like nice because that's like okay, cool, like other people who aren't just in our like general vicinity, which is tight. So because we got love, we got Matt, we got a lot of homies on the West Coast, dude. Everyone's got fire turfs. Try to stay connected with everyone. Shout out to the Midwest too. Michigan got some good flavors coming out. If you know where to look, absolutely, man. Michigan had some unbelievable solvents when I was last there. Pretty much uh, everywhere you go got some good flavors. If you know where to look, it just some places are harder than others. Absolutely. So, what um, what do you have as far as plans going forward? Like you know, personally or professionally. That for the next uh, next few months, I know you're you're headed to Legends. What what else is going on? And the Legends, dude. I think we're gonna turn that into a nice little vacation, which we're kind of excited about because we've never really gone on every any trip we've gone on has been three days, and two of those days are usually traveling. So it's yeah. not really like we've gotten to relax and enjoy ourselves. But we're gonna do a little Legends, and then. You know, hopefully we'll get invited back to Ego Clash, but if not, we'll just go hang out in fucking NorCal. But do a nice like, probably like hopefully like ten days in in California is the goal. It's gonna be the longest we've ever taken off of work, ever. Ever, by, I'm terrified. By far, I don't even fucking know what I'm gonna do. Yeah. Um. But so that'll be cool. Um, Melting of the heads, New York. I'm so excited. Yeah, we've been diligently working, getting the food ready, getting the scheduling ready, getting everything tied up. So we're really excited about that. 
anybody who comes to that has a high possibility of meeting my father. So that's a cool flex. Yeah. Come out and meet Papa Melts. Dude, he's so cool. See where, see where I'm very excited. Out. I'm very oh. excited to meet Papa Papa Mission Hill Melts. Yeah, the, um, the trap runs senior. in the family. So Mission Hill Melts Senior. We're planning uh, our our wedding currently, which is pretty lit. The headiest event of the year. Invite only. Can't even lit. buy a ticket to that. That one I'm excited for. That that was uh, big. Congratulations go out to you too. I know that was uh, recent. So. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That's about it, dude. I don't know. We've been. It's that's about it. It's we've been caught behind this mountain of material that we're trying to make our way through. It's a little intimidating, but you know, just taking everything one day at a time. Absolutely, 100, percent man. I think you're doing a really good job. I think it's super important you know, how visible you're being in the community and like what you're doing with the discord and, and the promotion of the amount of information that you give out just on that discord alone. I mean, if Brad's and Chad's could infiltrate it, they'd be able to make, you know, a good living and a half off that. And I think that, you know, it speaks to your character and, and what you guys are about. And so I'm really stoked um, to be able to call you guys friends. Um, I wanted to give you this kind of opportunity for any shout outs for any for any individuals that kind of helped wow. you along the way I know you've had a long storied past and and I, I you I wanted to give you this opportunity so here it is wow let's see who we got we got Go shout out to our our my man uh, Aloha and Elm they've been like our most consistent indoor growers for the past like year and a half and so. they've become dear friends so we really love them, Big up so to them. shout out to both of them cold river cultivation <laughs> killing it um our homie mr alari on instagram killing it yep skunkfoot farms high road 207 um, shout out to broccoli rob we love broccoli you rob, <laughs> um think higher cultivation shout out to jacob shout out to my man jacob jacob dude. has been with adam since the start he was there like the, the yeah first it's actually time. the first time i ever squished bubble hash like properly like with the screen uh my buddy was there so we're going to be splitting a grow with him in the not too distant future. So huge shout out single to him. source mission. Hill melts on the horizon for those people mm -hmm. out there. Mm -hmm. um, shout out to your parents. My parents. Shout out to our boy, Brian, uh, the OG homie still growing sour D and deadhead dude. Absolutely fucking killing it. Um, trying to think who else am I missing? That guy. That guy. Dude, that guy. Dude, let me tell that you. If that, the de oh, deadhead OG. I'm sorry. Going back to that top five resins we've tried in the last six months, bro, that deadhead, not a yielder, you know, good biomass yielder, kind of like a so-so. It was one of my favorite BHOs. With Dude, bro, I'd smoke the shit out of that every day if I could. Beautiful. Love that shit. Anything that Brian does is really nice. Anything, dude. I'm trying to think of who else I'm forgetting about. Yo, shout out to Rosin Evolution. I actually got a picture in this, uh, in the BL Legends photo of me repping them during the flower rosin days so you know it's real flex that one time for the people oh let my god know. that's so let funny know. november 11th 2016 for the people baby you already know fuck with your boy um, <laughs> they are really the best bags in the game though i mean we've always repped the set um shouts out to micron extracts Shouts out to Hashtag. Shouts out to you, Jameson. Yeah, truly. Shouts Aww. out to you, Jamo, <laughs> Terpova. 
the man. We appreciate you guys having us on. We're sorry we had a bail that one time, but it was a fucking really hectic, like, pretty what was it, like four, six month period, basically. Yeah, life sucks. Hana was pretty much driving like no less than like 40 to 60 hours a week for like a four month stretch and then had to stay with her mom for a few weeks, set it throughout. It was, uh, it was tough. We here, we made it. We made it. We're going to legend. Put a ring on it so she doesn't have to worry about me leaving or her leaving. That's the real thing. It's exciting. Well, that's awesome, man. I appreciate you guys coming on. Where's the best place to get people get in touch with you? I know you've got your Discord. Where's man. the best place to find out about that? Yeah, so uh, if you go to our Instagram, mission.hill.melts, um, we have a link tree in our bio. That pretty much will have all the links to any sort of major social media. Um, we just revamped our website. We got a new website. We're still tweaking a little bit, but for the most part, she's there. We got to do some some moth updates soon on there but definitely poke around there. We got like a mailing list. We're going to be opening a direct to patient portal for the card holding patients of pretty much everywhere. If you have a legal medical card and you can make your way up to Maine, we can see you directly, which is kind of cool. Um, cool. You'll be able to place orders through our website through that. We've got some merch drops coming. We're going to have some moth exclusive merch drops, which will be pretty dope. Um, but yeah, the link tree through our Instagram is probably the easiest way. Missionhillmelts.com.com, which is sick to say because we had a fight for our domain for four years, which sucked. Wow. Congratulations. Oh, that's a good one. Here's a, here's, that's a good one. Here's our closing advice. If you're a new company, don't, don't do anything until you trademark your shit and buy your domain. Because yes, motherfuckers will fuck with you just out of spite. So get all your legal ducks in a row before you spend any money on branding or packaging or any of those things. So. Yeah. Yeah. Get that paperwork. Frame that shit. Good advice. Sound advice. Well, Adam, Hannah, thank you again so much for taking the time. We appreciate you. And uh, we'll definitely have to have you on again soon. Oh, yeah. Thanks man. for having us. Absolutely. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And uh, we'll be back again soon. Cheers, everyone. Bum, bum.